0: shapes the rebound got to push this to the basket take it to the basket guys 9 seconds no timeouts left what are they doing RJ Hunter for 3 go
1: We have had longer breaks than the one that we just had. But my God, does it feel like the last podcast we did that the whole sports world changed or something.
2: Was it... I mean, I know it's only been two weeks. Well, I guess did a podcast week off, week off. So it's been three weeks, I guess, technically. Was it like... The last podcast was literally when you called me right after – or texted me right after the podcast. And said the Bills Bills just just got McCoy. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where we
1: pretty much left off, which is our teams went over massive overhauls. Yeah. Clearly, I had a better idea of what the front office of your team felt about the team than you did. I think we (laughs) we debated quite a bit about what the Bills might do. And they went kind of my way and added a bunch of guys and skill spots. Um, we'll get to all that stuff in three things. I got a spot for everything that's went down in the NFL because there's a lot of it. Uh, but yeah, crazy, crazy couple of weeks, uh, all the football stuff. We didn't do a show last week because I went to Yale, uh, to see my brother who finally returned from his broken leg, uh, play, uh, epic, epic best of three series against Harvard. I mean... The game three, especially the shots were forty eight to forty seven, and the winning goal was scored with about a minute and a half left in the second overtime. I mean, it was as that even. You you could maybe even argue that you definitely could say it was Yale's best game. Harvard was very opp- opportunistic in the game. They the, when they tied it in the third period, it was one of six shots they had that period. It's probably Yale's best period of the series. And then they had a five-minute major in overtime that Yale killed off and another penalty. So Harvard took uh,
2: took the opportunities, but I was gone. I didn't see it. I mean, I know that, that's an automatic, though, right? Was it a good call? The, the five-minute? Yeah.
1: No. It was absolutely a good call for a two. Uh, but it to call it a five was silly.
2: Is there any such thing as a two-minute hitting from behind? Yeah. Okay. But does he still get tossed for that or no? No. No? Okay.
1: The the referee has a lot of uh, discretion there. Okay. And he gave the most severe punishment. Yeah,
2: I know hitting from behind is different rules. Not only college. did he give him a five, but he gave
1: him a DQ, which means uh, he won't play.
2: Oh, I assume that was automatic. That part isn't.
1: Cause he can give him a game misconduct. He gave him a game disqualification, which is more severe.
2: Oh, Okay.
1: The interesting thing is usually with those fives, you call a five when there's an injury. Right. And uh, the whole time the refs were thinking about it, the Harvard player was sitting on the bench literally with an ice pack on his head. Then they called the five, he put his helmet back on and jumped over the boards. Oh, yeah. So uh, that ice did miracles. But no, we'll talk more about that uh, in, three th- in three things too. Uh, just a crazy... Crazy couple weeks, so we got a lot to catch up on. Uh, we got a busy show. Uh, Stuart Mandel from Fox Sports is going to join us. Uh, he's covering the NCAA basketball tournament for them. He's in most of the time when he's appeared on the show. It's been for his day job, which is uh, covering college football. Uh, but with a tournament of sixty-four teams and four regions, uh, Fox Sports tapped Stuart to cover that. So we're going to have him talk to us about about the uh, NCAA basketball tournament. Uh, Ryan Lambert from Puck Daddy is going to make his first appearance on the show. Uh, maybe a guy you hate who talks about hockey, you being a general <laughs> term. Yes. Uh, and not a guy who shies away from that persona, I don't think.
2: No, it's a little bit like our buddy Tim Graham, who's known kind of for his snark. That's kind of Lambert's thing at Puck Daddy there.
1: And we're going to talk to him about the NCAA hockey tournaments. And then we're going to have a guy named Mike Johnson talk about WrestleMania. All right. So, a busy show. Let's start with three things. Let's play a game. All right.
2: Mm-hmm. Count of three.
1: One. All righty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. Three. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback.
0: <laughs> this is the funnest night ever. <laughs> Your best
1: friend. Yep. Now let's move on to other business. We might as well just start with uh, the NCAA basketball tournament uh, because it's the biggest thing going on in sports right now. Sure. Uh, what did you watch? I, I watched... always want to know what Don watched when it comes uh, to these events. What have I watched? Events.
2: I watched more of the game's leading I watched the game leading into the tournament to see if UB was going to make it, and I was. I listened to the UB game. The MAC championship game. Yeah, and I listened Lash. to the uh, UB game at work. Against West Virginia. Yes. I'm not sure. I, I know I've seen parts of other games. I can't remember which teams, though.
1: Got off to a really fast start on Thursday. Yeah, a lot of upsets. A lot of upsets. Friday was, I think, the chalkiest day, if that's a word, I think in tournament they had history. One
2: upset all day long. Yeah, yeah
1: just a, a very, very much chalk. The thing about this tournament that maybe makes it more or less interesting is whether or not you believe anyone can actually beat Kentucky. Yeah. They're the first team at 36 0 at this point. Uh, last year we had an undefeated team lose, uh, I think, to Kentucky. But. That was a a mid-major team. This is, you know, Kentucky. Right. Uh, So, you're either really interested to see if anyone can beat them, or you're just kind of like, well, nobody can beat them. So, what am I doing here?
2: I heard a list of the last 12 or so uh, colleges to win the tournament, and they're all college powers. So... As a casual fan without like a team in it, like I guess I would say I was rooting for UB, but like when, once you don't have a team in it, you like to see upsets, but those teams never do anything.
1: Well, and that's the thing people forget about this tournament. The upsets are for the beginning, right? and the end is and for the get, big boys.
2: Right. So I, I guess, bet you could
1: go further back than 12 before you found a team that sure. wasn't up. A
2: power, yeah. I mean, of some to some degree. Who was it? Butler, I think, made it to the finals. Right, they lost to Duke, and that's about as close as uh, a surprise team has come. But uh, yeah, so as a casual fan, usually I like to root for underdogs. But if not, if that's not going to happen, I think I'd like to see like a great team win. I think I'd like to. I'm rooting for forty and zero. I guess
1: right. So yeah, why not? I've been so. Like you
2: said, after that first day when the upsets are over, it's all good teams, and maybe like you said, that's why it's taken a little bit. It's kind of like, can they do it or not? Like, I I think the Patriots, having if they would have won that... The Patriots being undefeated going into that Super Bowl made it more interesting. Uh, the fact that the Giants won it, maybe less so, if it wasn't for that phenomenal play. That was kind of the story of the game. But uh, Right. Yeah. I mean, as a casual fan, I'm, I'm rooting for greatness. I think that's the most interesting storyline by far. What will you watch going forward? I'll probably watch some of the Final Four and the final game. I... So they There's, can't count on your business this weekend. No, I, <laughs> I mean none of it's appointment TV for me. Maybe if I happen to flip by and see Kentucky's playing, I'll see if they're winning.
1: Will you be watching any of the hockey tournament this weekend?
2: If I can catch it, yeah, yeah. But that's uh, our super fan has pointed out. It should be my Twitter handle should be Don likes hockey and football. <laughs> right. So between my team being really bad uh, and your brother being in the tournament, I have a lot of rooting interest in the hockey tournament.
1: True. Second thing, uh, since we talked, and we alluded to this in the open, uh, the Bills and the Saints have maybe arguably overwent the biggest overhauls in the uh, National Football League. Yeah. Uh, So let's start with you, and then we'll get to me. Are you happier with the Bills team today than you were Last time we talked, this was just before the McCoy trade. I
2: think it would be impossible. Now, I know stats guys will tell you the easier thing to predict is offense than defense. Like, defenses are a little bit more fickle. Even great ones don't always rank near the top at the end. But uh, I liked Kiko Alonso a lot, but there's a lot of thought that the guys that stepped in for him actually outplayed him. So. They traded away a guy who wasn't on the team last year to get better on offense. I mean, CJ Spiller is out and O'Shawn McCoy is in. So they got better at that position. Their slot receiver now, if he's going to play the slot, which instead of. It's all he can play. It, it, yeah, instead of uh, Hogan, is now Percy right. Harvin. So, and I, I think I said I liked Robert Woods a lot last week. Uh, so if with Watkins, Hogan, or Watkins, Woods, and. Harvin, they've upgraded their receiving core. The offensive line still might not be good. They, they've done everything they can to mask a weakness at quarterback.
1: Yeah, I think the thing that I was arguing about the Bills is they needed to get better in the skill positions. That, to me, it wasn't just a team that didn't have a quarterback. And I but... forgot
2: Clay. I mean, they haven't had a guy like him maybe ever. Right. So
1: It'll be interesting to see how good he actually is. Yeah. Because I'm not really sure. Um, he's obviously better than Scott Chandler, though.
2: Yes, yeah, Scott Chandler. I don't watch this stuff close enough, even as a football fan. It's glued to football for whatever eight hours on a Sunday. I don't watch close enough to see like what a tight end is doing when he's not catching the ball. But apparently, Scott Chandler, Chandler is could good only at that catch stuff, the ball. Right? No, he no, wasn't, wasn't good. good at that. No, stuff. Oh. he was known to not be good at that at all. Nope. They say Clay is a lot better actually at both. So he's a more well-rounded guy, and he's a better. He's better at what Chandler did well than Chandler was. So. He should be a major upgrade. I'm just curious how they'll use him because they've never had one. So, but uh, the offensive coordinator used Vernon Davis a ton in San Francisco. So, All right. It should be. I. I think they did everything they could, and I'd rather see EJ in there. But if you just want a guy that can read a defense, dump the ball off five yards, and let a playmaker make a play, then maybe Matt Castle is the better guy. And I'm excited to see what they can do. I mean, I, I think they've done everything they can.
1: Yeah, and the good news is they don't have to play tomorrow. Right. Uh, they still have a draft. They still have training camp.
2: They've got like $8 million, There's still like $8 million under the cap. Still so. have some money. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, uh, as shocking as it was to find out Lashawn well, McCoy was traded to the Bills, it's probably more shocking to find out that Jimmy Graham was traded away from the Saints. Uh, I was surprised. I wasn't shocked, uh, if you can differentiate between the two. I was surprised that they traded Graham, but I wasn't shocked that they made that kind of a splash. I knew that they were very displeased with the team last year. Yeah. Uh, They weren't happy with the seven and nine record uh, and they weren't happy with uh, the leadership in the room. And uh, I think that's why we have seen Kenny Stills leave. Uh, I think he's an example of a guy. It stinks to have to, to lose him uh, because when he does mature, he's going to probably be really good. But they don't feel like they're the team to guide him from immaturity to maturity.
2: Yeah. and uh, Damashek made an interesting point about this. I don't know if you heard it on his podcast, but uh, the Stills thing. A lot of people are saying had to do with Breeze's opinion of Stills. It did. But what Damashek pointed out then is why wasn't why didn't his opinion of Graham matter? They didn't. Consul- Breeze tweeted right afterward that he was basically shocked that they traded Jimmy Graham away. Uh. Well. Is that spin control by the Saints trying to Well, I don't it? think they need to spin control that
1: they traded Kenny Stills. No, he's just not that good yet. I mean, what has Kenny Stills done in the league that you need to spin control? And they got a great haul for Kenny Stills, too, by the way. Yeah. A third round pick and a guy that will start for them at linebacker at an extremely discounted rate. The only knock they say. Miami's going to keep a lot of that money.
2: Or, oh, yeah, that helps. The only knock I was going to say on that guy is everyone assumes he was going to be cut anyway.
1: So, uh, yeah. Okay. Um, but it doesn't matter because they kept the money. Right. So, uh, and it's really about stills for a third round pick. I mean, and then you're going to get a player you can start at a discounted rate. Right. I don't think they needed to do any spin control for that move. I really don't. I mean, it just was a lot happening at once. Maybe. Yeah. And, uh, Look at they reworked the team a bit and um, they have they're a good draft team. they drafted Jimmy Graham in the third round. you know they drafted Marcus Colson in the seventh round. they've drafted almost everyone at offensive line over the years and almost never paid anyone Then they when they came due. They just drafted a new guy Cap him cheap uh, Evans is probably the only guy that they've paid at that position uh, the whole line. Uh, they obviously improved center, which cost them two games.
2: Are they keeping Evans for sure? I know that was a question.
1: I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what guard, they're going to do right? with Evans. Yeah, That's he's a weird
2: position to pay a lot of money for. He's definitely a guy that could still be out. Because I know people always talk about him for the bills if they do. Look at. I don't have any problem with
1: what they've done. Are I they think,
2: better today?
1: I they? think they're not better yet, but um, they have a lot of uh, ammunition. Yeah. Uh, I would not be shocked, and you shouldn't be there if they pick a wide receiver in the first round. Okay, uh, There's three really good ones again, and I think that they could move to get one of them or probably stay where they are and get the Louisville kid um, and still be able to draft uh, a corner if need be. The Browner thing was huge.
2: Do they need a tight end?
1: Uh, They're high on Josh Hill. He's probably not good enough. I don't know.
2: I, I mean, I, again, this is X's and O's stuff that guys smarter than me would have to know. Is he a.
1: Well, Jimmy Graham is the opposite then of Scott Chandler because he did nothing but. I mean, he barely ever even lined up a tight end, right? Right. I mean, half of the time was, he was lined up a wide he receiver. Tried to make, right. right. So um, they're going to, I assume, have a guy on the field better at all the other stuff most of the time. Right. No one's going to beat Jimmy Graham. So I think you don't even try to replace him. I just think well, that's, you, that's you shift of, the offense in a different direction. That's
2: kind of what I was saying. Is the offense based around the tight end because that's the offense they like to run or because they had No, Jimmy because Graham? they had Jimmy Graham.
1: Okay. I mean before Jimmy Graham they didn't Yeah, right. They didn't have a I mean, they had Jeremy Shockey who, you know, was okay. Was okay. Right. So I don't know. I d I don't have a big problem with anything. I would have loved to have kept Graham. I like Graham a lot. Um, but uh they got a great return for him.
2: There was immediately after that story those stories came out, a fake rumor that came out about them shopping Drew Brees. Would you right. Which
1: I was ever, trying to explain to people. Would
2: you ever be the guy to get rid of Drew Brees? No. I don't Why? Think, I don't think I could either. But I mean if you could get a haul for him, like a lot of people around here or maybe it was a fake rumor out there too. I don't know where it came from. We're saying that they could trade Dar- – uh, the Bills could trade Darius for Drew Brees.
1: But the, they'd have to start the offseason all over again. Right. So if you're going to tr- trade Drew Brees, you're not going to sign Brandon Browner. Uh, yeah, you're not going to sign I, C.J. Spiller. Right. I, right. So you got, it, there's no way at this point
2: – I think it felt weird. What are
1: they going to do with Darius if you take Brees off the team? What are they going right. to do then? Right, Play I mean, he's only,
2: he's only 20. He's really young. But right. Um, I think the – I think the Bills reason, fans want Breeze to be on their team. Oh sure, absolutely. So they're
1: inventing all these imaginary scenarios where it would happen.
2: But I think the reason, uh, all the, the weirdness it seemed about the way they made their moves was there were two, kind of significant, subtractions that happened right away, right at the same time. So I think a lot of people thought like, whoa, are they, are they, cutting bait? Are they just going to rebuild? Like,
1: who is the second significant one?
2: Well, Stills. I mean, oh stop!
1: <laughs> people need to stop with that. Come on. Has he ever even had fifty catches in a season in the league? I don't know. Probably not. Bring up Kenny Still's numbers so that you can retract that statement. For now. <laughs> come on,
2: it's not. It, that's not my opinion. That's- Kenny
1: Still's, like I said, has a lot of upside. He's very young. He left Oklahoma early. You know, he left as a junior, and you know he played as a true freshman there. So he's probably still not even twenty three years old.
2: Yeah, he's 22 right now. He'll be 23 in April. Yeah,
1: he's got a lot of uh, a lot of upside. But I bet he's never had more than 40 catches in the league. So, we need to slow down with that.
2: He had 63 last year. Okay.
1: That's more than I would have thought.
2: Yeah.
1: I mean, maybe for what? 725 yards.
2: 931. 3 touchdowns. That's right. 3 touchdowns, fumble. Yeah, I Look that—that's not my perspective of him. I actually, when I heard how much, how many hype there was, I assumed he was a high draft pick. You he have, was a fifth round? Yeah, he's a fifth round
1: pick. Do you have his game log there? Uh, I can get it because I'm just curious how many catches he had after the Cooks injury. So what did he have the last six games?
2: Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six. He had three, uh. He didn't have more than five catches in the games leading up to it in any game. Like his best game, Uh he had two games with five. In the games after that, he had eight, five, three, five, six, five. So, yeah, I mean, he he had his best half at the end of the year. Post-Cooks
1: injury. Yeah. yeah. Now, I I don't think Stills, like I said, Stills is going to have a very good NFL career. It would have been nice if it could have happened in New Orleans. Apparently, he's not mature enough to be in the locker room right now. No. And uh, so he's not on the team anymore. And I, I don't think that that makes them better or worse. Um, I think... Uh,
2: I wouldn't think so either because of who especially your if you're going to add a guy, too. Yeah, I mean, someone's going to be on the field, so... Let's say
1: they draft... um,
2: They've got to be drafting high, right? Let's Where say they? they
1: draft White, okay? The second-best wide receiver in the draft. Okay. And they... Play next year with White, Cooks, Colston, Spiller.
2: We'll say Josh Hill. Um, yeah, I don't think they're gonna miss the receiver. Tune. I mean, they're obviously gonna miss Graham.
1: Overall, it's. I think they could be okay. Listen, it's time for Breeze and uh, and and Payton. to their money, obviously.
2: Yeah. No, I mean, I wouldn't be worried. I maybe that's the thought about losing Jimmy Graham is he's a player that's a matchup nightmare. But we're gonna miss Jimmy Graham. You've got a there's no doubt
1: about it. Everyone, any team would miss Jimmy Graham, and the Seahawks are gonna be better for having Jimmy Graham. No doubt. Uh, But uh, they uh, they they did some they did some good things. I think they they were very creative. In the way that they were still able to add people despite being up against the wall and cap purposes, so they didn't save any money by trading Graham. I think they actually ended up worse off for this year. This year for oh, cap okay. after the trade, but anyway, uh, no blackout rule this year in the NFL.
2: That's great. I mean, they say it's temporary. Hopefully, it's not the case.
1: Uh, the Browns were going to be on hard knocks, but now they're not.
2: Oh, really? I haven't heard that they're not.
1: Yeah, no hard knocks, uh, and it's for Manziel's steak. Okay. It's fine. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Bills would be a great team for that. They sure would. It would be a lot of fun. Rex did it before, and I think you liked it.
2: Now, the rule is if you're a playoff team, you're exempt. If you're not a playoff There's team, you're There's ways exempt. to be forced. Yeah, I Bills,
1: can't. I don't think, are one of the teams that could be forced. Because they. I think it's because they have they a new missed. coach.
2: Oh, it's a new coach. That's right.
1: First year of a coach, you can't be forced. Okay. So, uh, uh, they're not it. Um, NFL meetings are going on, and they uh the owners approve some some replay changes
2: do you think the senior uh, what are they calling it veteran combine will be useful at all
1: probably not yeah maybe someone signs a guy yeah i mean you know what you know what's nice about it is 90 guys got to go to camp so if you're one of those guys that goes to that, maybe you can get one of those ninety spots somewhere that you wouldn't have got otherwise. You know what the joke is about? And that? then you got a chance. I don't know I don't if know. you
2: heard this, but those players had to pay to be there. Really? Which is a joke. They had to pay like four hundred dollars to go. So these guys that are scratching and clawing, had to pay the billion dollar industry. Of course they did. Four hundred dollars to go go be there.
1: Alright, last thing real quick. Uh another big sporting event this weekend. WrestleMania thirty one. Uh, a big enough sporting event for it to draw 75,000 people in the 49ers stadium. Wow. It still blows my mind how every single year they fill a stadium somewhere.
2: Is it having a resurgence a little bit, or is it just that there's so much media I see it? Mo- but, I mean, it's not like there wasn't so much media yeah. last year. I just feel like I'm seeing a lot about wrestling from mainstream I th- places. I, think
1: what, I don't know if they're having a resurgence, but I think that, In an effort to compete on the internet, mainstream sites are becoming more
2: full. I see like Richard Deitch talking about WrestleMania all the time. They have people who...
1: I think we've talked about this on the show before. People who grew up loving Hulk Hogan are in positions of power in the media now. And are more likely to uh, give it space... On websites like SI.com and Grantland and Bleacher Report, and uh, we're going to have a guy from Pro Wrestling Insider, which is a more traditional uh, website. But next week we'll bring in Shoemaker again from Grantland uh, to recap it. But um, yeah, I'm excited. Uh, it's a great deal, nine ninety nine, obviously uh, for the network. Get you WrestleMania. Oh, right. Yeah. You don't have to pay sixty five dollars anymore. Yeah. Which they were getting for it is. Recently as two WrestleManias ago.
2: You know who has to take a page from that is uh, whatever company it is that sells the. Uh, I wanted to watch your brother's game. And like I came into it like into the first overtime. What they want? Ten bucks? Ten bucks. Like yeah. there's not even a discounted rate an hour into the game or whatever. So I just cheated and kept refreshing a, a private window that would change my IP address every time. So I watched it for 90 seconds, refreshed the window, watched it for 90 seconds.
1: Yeah, I was uh, wanted to watch the end of the RIT game against Canisius on Saturday. And I was actually going to suck it up and pay $10 for the third period because it was an important game for Yale's Paralyzed. Oh, right, right, yep. And I couldn't even get it to allow me to buy it. Really? The thing was so buggy, I couldn't even do yeah. it. So, yeah, interesting. All right, here's what we got. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back. We'll talk NCAA basketball first with Stuart Mandel. Uh, we'll do a book club update. And then we'll take another break. We'll talk NCAA hockey uh, with Ryan Lambert. Uh, then I'll cut in quick. Uh, uh, we'll do an 18-clip Downey down Easter Alexa. I'll talk for two minutes. Uh, then we'll do Mike Johnson on WrestleMania, and we'll finish with one last thing. Our next guest is from Cincinnati, Ohio and is a graduate of Northwestern University. He first appeared on his on this podcast, and he was a senior writer for Sports Illustrated, but today he's a senior college sports uh, columnist for Fox Sports. He's making his eighth appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to our friend, Stuart Mandel. What's up, Stuart?
3: Hey, Steve, how are you?
1: Good, how are you doing? Pretty good. Hey, we were just talking before we started real quick uh, about you uh, covering the uh, basketball tournament here. And, uh, it seems like you're enjoying uh, doing it for sure
3: Yeah, and it really started with doing the bracketology which is something that I hadn't done probably in seven or eight years I used to do it at SI.com, but you know football. is just so big and, and there's just so much interest and it's my primary beat that uh, You know by the end of my time at SI. I really become almost my entire focus uh Fox hired me, yeah, they they wanted it. They were interested in the fact that I had some college basketball background, too, and so I started doing the brackets, the projected brackets in late January, and, and now covering the actual tournament. It's pretty cool.
1: Did you enjoy getting back into the bracketology part of it, and how did you think you did when the committee actually presented a bracket?
3: It was definitely interesting. Uh, it's it's a lot of work. It's very key, to be honest. Uh, right. But... One reason it was really cool to do it for Fox is that they're incorporating it uh, into their game broadcast. They have the Big East. So, you know, I'd be watching a game and suddenly uh, Gus Johnson would mention my, my latest bracket projections or Raffery or some of the guys we have doing college basketball, and especially in the last week of the regular season. So I'm happy to be part of that. And I did pretty well. Um, I missed two at larges like a lot of people did, but I did very well uh, on the seating, much better than I expected. It really helped. uh, the NCAA is really good about doing a mock selection exercise for the media in February and uh, and inviting different media members each year. So I went to the one this year to kind of get refresh things. But the most valuable part was just talking to the actual committee members who were in the room, like Scott Barnes. And I do think that's one reason I was as accurate as I was, is I got a good sense of what they value.
1: I assume that uh, one of the teams you missed was UCLA, correct? That's correct. Now... I saw a pretty interesting take. I can't remember exactly who said it. Kind of that the unfortunate thing about the success of UCLA in the tournament in this person. I wish I could remember exactly who it was, and I'm paraphrasing, but just a kind of basic take was that the success of UCLA in this tournament is going to kind of create lazy bracketing by the committee because they get to justify this large school uh, a pick in a way, and that it would have been much better for college basketball had they uh, kind of lived up to their uh, uh, billing going in, and, and
3: maybe been yeah, a, a one. I a don't game. know about that because you know UCLA. I think the reason there was so much backlash toward them, obviously, is because there was a, the idea of a mediocre power conference school making it. But people have to remember there was a lot of backlash to VCU. Uh, making it in 2011, and then they went to the Final Four. Same right. with, you know, I remember Billy Packer's legendary rant about, I don't remember him singling out George Mason, but about mid-majors in general And that year in 2006, and then George Mason went to the Final Four. So I don't know that any of that had you know, a carryover effect to the, to the following year's committee. My only real problem with the UCLA selection, people have to remember that no bubble team is, stepped up and made their case that week it was a weird week where i went into it uh fully expecting that my bracket would change completely because there would be upsets and whatnot and one after another the bubble teams just went belly up in their conference tournament so you know i didn't agree with the ucla selection but it's not they were out of of nowhere they were my second team out Uh, that's how you know bad the bubble was and so my whole thing was if you want to put ucla in just give a good explanation for it and that was really what Scott Barnes struggled with uh, the best he could do was uh, say that uh, they play Arizona really tough and they and met the eye test and people don't want to hear that they want to hear uh, you know more uh, you know we like their record against these teams or in fact he actually hinted that it came down to Ken Pomeroy's rankings where it was much higher than um, Colorado State uh, and Temple the teams that most people thought got left out. And that's why I just come out and say that. Come out and say, you know, we we value those rankings, and and they said that those two, this team was much better, but he didn't go that far.
1: You know, my brother plays uh, college hockey for Yale, and they were on the bubble in the hockey tournament this year, and uh, made it. And it's so interesting. I don't know if you know how the uh, the committee and the selection goes for hockey, but basically they have a formula called the pairwise, uh, and they stick to the math. And then the committee's only real job. Is figuring out who's going to go where, basically. Hmm. Uh, and it's interesting because the you know when you're the first or second team out there, you're you're talking about the 17th best team in the country, uh, which is still you know a very good team, and you can feel for a team like that. I kind of struggle getting too passionate and feeling too bad for you know a team that we're talking about being you know the 60. 60- well, and it's not fair because there's the, all the auto bids. Whatever the the you know the the thirtieth something sure. large team,
3: you know, it's it's a yeah, little I hard mean, to it's feel. Not like the team. there was in. nobody that you could say got snubbed You know right. that would mean that they were really deserving and they didn't get picked. You know there was arguments be made for Temple or for Colorado State, but neither of those teams were um, had particularly impressive resumes. I mean, in doing this stuff all year, there was a pretty huge drop off. I'd say uh, after about eight seats, eight and nine seeds. after that you are really, you know, kind of just, who's left bad is <laughs> how you were deciding. Yeah.
1: yeah, it's really interesting in hockey. I mean, they have the six auto bids, and then after that they just take the next 12 teams in the pairwise rankings, and they're in the tournament, and that's how it works.
3: Yeah, I don't know how that would go over, because I, I don't think, I mean, there's a lot of critics. RPI is the main rankings they use, and there's a lot of critics of the RPI, yeah, I don't there's think a lot of critics and of pairwise in hockey. Too. What's that?
1: So yeah, there's a lot of critics of pairwise in hockey too.
3: Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I've heard people suggest they should do that for football, and you know, so that would be to me even worse. But when there's only four teams, and, and you'd be putting their fate in the hands of a formula, you know, I, the good thing about a basketball selection committee is they can take uh, common sense into account, especially when these teams are playing 34 games. And maybe there's a team that, like, I don't think Boise State would have made it if um, if there wasn't the realization that they played the first half of the season with all these serious injuries. Um, Dayton, another team like right. that. So they, they they know what happened in the games. It's not just a formula.
1: I was going to say that, too. My favorite thing about the basketball is that they can take injuries and things that a math formula can into account, whether it be a reason for someone's success at the beginning or their lack of of success at the end, or even a projection of what their success might be in the tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first weekend got off to a great start on Thursday and then kind of lost a little bit of steam in the sense that it got uh, sort of chalky, if that's a word. Uh, what, did, what was your sense on, on uh, the first week of the, the tournament and uh, uh, how it ranked compared to recent tournaments?
3: Yeah, it took a weird trajectory uh, to Damn. have two 14-seeds uh, win within the first few hours of the tournament. It was insane. And then it just kind of, like you said, went chalk throughout the next, I don't know, 36 hours. Right. Um, which is why I was a little surprised to see the TV ratings were so good because, you know, I think people want to see offsets that first weekend. And the only double-digit seed to make it out of the weekend was Harley at It was UCLA. But what we did get in the second round or in the round of 32, were a lot of really good games, like uh, the Notre Dame-Butler game, you know, I think was a really intense, you know, overtime uh, finish. Um, yeah, that was The like, yeah. Kansas game was, was interesting to a lot of people. And, and it sets up a Sweet 16 where, because sometimes the Cinderella's are nice, but sometimes they uh, there's too many of them, to be perfectly honest. When you get to the Sweet 16, you have a lot of really lopsided matchups, and I don't see that this year still.
1: Yeah, you know it was really interesting this year uh, was usually we don't have those uh, four or five games because all the fives bowed out, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, this year it was nice to see some some four or five games and and kind of settle in on those the second uh, the second round. But like you said, it's going to make for for a really great weekend this weekend. What what uh what are the games that come to mind for you as ones you have to you have to check out this weekend? What are you most excited to see tip off?
3: Uh, in the Sweet 16, uh, I'm, I'm probably most excited for uh, Notre Dame-Wichita State. Wichita State, uh, Wichita State uh, to me, is, was always better than their seed, but it was hard to justify much uh, higher just based on the criteria they use. used. You know, really, their only big win of the season was against Northern Iowa, but it, it's amazing when you watch them, because I just happened to have their region two years ago where they advanced to Final Four, and it's amazing. You just don't see this in college basketball anymore. Uh, guys like Fred VanVleet and Ron Baker were part of that Final Four team two years ago. They, they are as seasoned as they come in college basketball in, in 2015. Uh, and going up against a very good Notre Dame team, Jerry grants some more exciting players in the country. Um, so that, that, to me, as I look at the, the pairings, it's a very even game. I'm not sure how it's going to turn out. And it obviously has some pretty big implications because most likely that team is going to face Kentucky in the next round. Um, and Duke, Utah is very intriguing to me because while I, you know, I I, like, I have enough respect for Duke to have picked them to go very far. Utah is a, a sneaky team, a team that uh, people have had their eye on all season. They didn't really pull out the big wins against the Arizonas and the better teams in their conference, but they were very highly ranked in the efficiency rankings and just eye test. Uh, you know, you look at it, go, gosh, it's really a team that blow out pretty much everybody else they faced. So. Uh, that's a sneaky, tricky
1: matchup for Duke. be a really interesting, I think, story if we had the undefeated Kentucky team playing Wichita State a year after they played the epic game against each other with Wichita State Absolutely. as the undefeated uh, yeah, team. So that could get really interesting if we've seen that. Uh, when you look at the tournament, let's save that. Uh, let's talk about the East real quick because for his, uh chalk as we've talked about the tournament being uh, that's one where you know we only have Oklahoma is the highest seed left and it just seems like four teams and you could very easily maybe make a case for all four being in the final four I mean Louisville uh, their coach has said he doesn't think they're that great of a team this year you know they're two wins away from a a final four Uh, NC State had a real exciting victory in the tournament Oklahoma didn't really play that great in the first two games in Michigan State, it's a team who just always seems to have success in this tournament to some degree. Uh,
3: w- yeah, I don't I don't have much faith in NC State or Louisville to win two more games. Uh, Louisville is so limited offensively um, that, that kind of favored them or helped them out, actually, in the matchup with Northern Iowa. It's going to be tough to win two more games. NC State, uh, very talented team, but they haven't put together, they haven't been consistent all season, and it's asking a lot for them to put together four straight good games, but I should have said right off the bat that Oklahoma-Michigan State is one of the most intriguing matchups of the C-16. Two blue-collar teams uh, with great coaches. career doesn't get nearly enough credit uh, for what he's done over the course of a long career at many different schools. And that's actually the team I picked to make the Final Four out of this region originally. um, So I thought there was a soft one and two seed in that region. But, you know, Flip a coin as to who wins the actual who actually wins this Oklahoma Michigan State game, but whoever wins it, I would be I think the best bet to make the final four out of that region.
1: I don't think people realize exactly how bare the cupboard was for Lon at Oklahoma when he got there too. Um, I mean, he had he really had a big project uh, in terms of turning that program around. So it doesn't seem like it was that long ago that they played in the Elite Eight. It wasn't that long ago they played in the Elite Eight against North Carolina, but by the time Lon did get there uh the way things ended in the uh uh I don't know why I can't think of his name right now. Uh, left for Indiana. Capel? Uh the coach that left for Indiana before that. But um Oh yeah, Colin Sampson. him Samson. Samson, that's right. Uh you yeah. Know, well Jeff Capel had and, and Capel you know, obviously was got a lot of credit out. for yeah. for
3: Blake Griffin basically. Right. Uh, you know, Blake Griffin was a transcendent player and he led them to the Elite Eight that year and then they really uh took a dive, a new oh, yeah. dive after that. So, yeah, it has been a, a rebuilding job. And, look, the Big 12 took a lot of plaque because, you know, they were so high, so hyped uh, coming into the tournament and then had two, three seeds to lose right away, Kansas lost. But it is it. there wasn't, you know, it, it was the, the hype was justified. It was the most competitive conference this season. And I, I just figured one of those teams, whether it's Iowa State, Baylor, Oklahoma, would go on a run in this tournament because they played over the course of the season uh, – You know, just in their conference alone, they played 12 games against tournament teams, Uh, not even including non-conference. So those teams are just really uh, tested at this
1: point. Right. You wrote a really cool column on Fox Sports. Uh, Everyone should check it out. Uh, Kind of uh, with a few different kind of ways that we could get to four. I really enjoyed the way you broke it down like that. I know Oklahoma uh, was who you picked uh, in the kind of the way you see I don't know how you worded it, but the, the first Grouping of teams that you think uh, could make it, and then you went. it was almost like uh, the most likely to the most outrageous, but you had more clever way of presenting it than I'm repeating it.
3: It's a, it's a great <laughs> well, column I on Fox Sports. To do something different than the, the traditional re-ranking the the, the sixteen teams. Yeah, it turned um, out great too. So yeah, it was it was the final four that I picked originally, an equally plausible final four. Because honestly, why would you have any faith in my practice at this point? <laughs> Um, the all-wild card Final Four it would be teams like uh, Utah making the Final Four and then the, the not-going-to-happen Final Four, which I mean, I, I there's just, just no... I do not see a scenario where Xavier or UCLA uh, makes the Final Four. Yeah.
1: Well, Xavier, I mean, wow, if, if Xavier makes it and they go through Arizona and Wisconsin to do it, I'd have to really tip their hat to them, huh?
3: Yeah, that's the, that's the problem. That's, right. that's as strong a 1 and 2 seed as you have in any of the regions. And Xavier is a good team. Um, I've watched them closely this year because uh, of Fox's. First of all, I'm from Cincinnati, and second of all, Fox's relationship with the Big East. It's surprising, obviously, if they're the only Big East team left. But, you know, that program has gone to the 316 five times in the last eight years. Give them a lot of credit for that. But they're running into an Arizona team that, quite frankly, is one of the only teams in this tournament that I think is capable of possibly beating Kentucky. Uh, It's just, it's not a, it's it's probably the biggest mismatch, honestly, in the Sweet 16.
1: Okay, you brought up Kentucky, so let's go there. Is the most compelling story left in this tournament really the most obvious one of can Kentucky finish it off and and finish an undefeated season?
3: Yeah, I think they were always going to be the overwhelming, um, you know, story that hovers over this entire tournament. But because you know nobody really expected them to lose in the first two games, and uh, and there's just so much going on. You know, the focus last weekend was not on Kentucky. Um, maybe it won't even be this weekend. I'm not sure, but I mean, I'm sure there'll be a lot of attention on them. But uh, to me, the Final Four takes on an added uh, importance this year. I mean, it's always important. You always want to, uh, you're always fascinated to know who's going to make the Final Four. But this year, in particular. Um, who's going to be there to test Kentucky? Because I feel like that's where, uh, not to overlook the teams in that region, but you know that's when you're going to run into some of the best teams from around the country this year. Whether it's Wisconsin or Arizona or Duke, um, if those teams advance, you know we could right. also get into a situation where they make it, Kentucky makes it, and there's a, you know. But other than that, it's a seven seed and a five seed, and uh, and then suddenly it. it The path opens up for them. I'm, you know, this is a rare situation where I'm really rooting for there to be chalk. I'd love to see Kentucky and Wisconsin or Arizona and Duke in there, um, so that for them to finish undefeated, we would see them against the absolute best.
1: Right, yeah, it'd be great if they're going to finish it off for them to knock off some... some di- you know, it'd, it'd be too bad if people are like, well, yeah, they want to defeat it, but, I mean, oh, the committee just, you know, opened it up for them so nice, and then they got some breaks. It'd be really cool to see them uh, play whoever the... You mentioned Arizona maybe uh, being one of the teams that, that... You think they're the team that would have the best
3: shot? Uh, no, I think the, te- the teams with the best shot are, are teams coming out of the South. Uh, I mean, I just think they, they, there's Duke no question a Final Four game against Wisconsin-Arizona would be extremely tough. Right. And uh, either way, Wisconsin-Arizona, either way, that's going to be an extremely tough game for Kentucky. But I feel like Duke is, uh, other than Kentucky, the most talented team in the country. Um, maybe people don't want to believe that because it's Duke or or maybe uh, downplay a little bit because so their three best players are freshmen. But... What they accomplished this season, winning some of the road games they did, winning at Wisconsin and at Virginia, um, you know, they, they've, they've won big games time and again. Uh, but I'm not 100 percent sure they make it out of their own region. I have a lot of respect for Gonzaga. Maybe it's living out here on the West Coast and seeing more of their games that start at eight o'clock our time instead of 11. Um, you know, look, Kentucky is the tallest team we've seen in a long time. Nobody has assembled a team quite like this with the length they have up front. And Gonzaga is about as close as you're going to get in terms of that. They have three 6'10 or taller guys in their top six players, uh, and they're very versatile. They each do things a little bit differently. It would be fascinating to me to see that matchup. Uh, I think a more talented team, but if you're of the belief that the team that would eventually beat them would have to have the size to match them, um, that's one of the few teams that has. it. I mean, uh, Arizona's very long as well, uh, which is one of the reasons why that. To me, with St. Ann, was, that was a pretty
1: tough matchup as well. Two more quick things, and I'll let you go. Uh, Team wise, we're going to be talking about Kentucky, obviously, and you know Duke is Duke, and well, we've talked this whole time about how there's some some really nice name programs left in this thing. Uh, what about players? There's a lot of buzz about Okafor for Duke. Who are some other players that you're really excited to uh, to watch in these big games in the next couple of weeks here? Well, you
3: know, obviously Kaminsky and Okafor get the most attention, but um, you know, this is a great opportunity for Kyle Welcher at Gonzaga, the Kentucky transfer, who to me was a first-team All-American this season, but maybe people haven't seen him play as much. Um, you know, this is a good opportunity for him. And, and staying in that same region, uh, Daylon Wright at Utah, also to me one of the best players in the country, um, who uh, you know, I, I think to hear their current being here, these are some great players that play on West Coast teams and they aren't on uh, ESPN at at nine o'clock on a Monday night. So, uh, you know, I've seen these guys play, but I'm excited to see them play on this stage. Also, uh, TJ McConnell, Arizona, uh, is the rare consummate pass first, uh, point guard. Um, maybe you should turn a little bit to Aaron craft from Ohio state a few years ago, but, uh, they're not necessarily the, the same exact player by any means. Uh, uh, McConnell, probably better offensive player. So, um, those, those are some of the, beyond the, the two big ones, some of the guys
1: yeah, I'm excited to see. All right, Stuart Mandel covers uh, college sports for Fox Sports. He's at SL Mandel on Twitter. I mentioned a really cool column, which you'd really like, uh, I'm sure you'd love to read, uh, on FoxSports.com, where he breaks down a few ways we might get to four. I definitely recommend that. Oh, I want to tell you this. I know you are a huge loss guy. There's a documentary I watched the other day, and it's about showrunners. And the showrunners from Lost are uh, featured pretty prominently. And they had some really cool insight um, into uh, why they did some of the things they did. And I think you love it. I I thought of you uh, for whatever reason when I was uh, watching that. And the Lost guys are so prominent in it. I should have uh, looked up the name. But I think it might even be like... (laughs) Where where did you see it? uh, I watched it on... Either Netflix or iTunes. Um, I think it, it might even be called The Showrunners.
3: I'm going to look that up. You know, those Lost Showrunners were really, to me, honestly, the first time. Well, Aaron Sorkin, obviously, was a big name for a long time. But the first time I remember these showrunners becoming celebrities uh, as much as the stars of the show. Yeah, so, yeah, that would be very interesting.
1: Showrunners Showrunnersthemovie.com. It's available on iTunes. That must be where I watched it. It's called Showrunners, The Art of Running a TV Show. And The Lost Guys were really... Uh, prominently featured and and really offered some interesting perspective not so much about the show itself but why they made some of the decisions as showrunners to be like you said so you know out there and uh uh, the way they use the popularity of the show on the internet um uh it's kind of as a two-way street Uh, i think you love it I, i thought of you uh, so it's a cheap plug for them. I don't know them or anything, but showrunnersthemovie.com dot is a website, and then Showrunners is the name of the doc. But uh, all I appreciate right, it too. yeah, all right, Stuart, uh, we'll let you go. Last thing, uh, you get a you get a fresh chance to uh, to pick a four and a champ. Go ahead. Well, I feel like if
3: your four is still standing from the original pool, you, you can't change your mind now. So uh, it's the same as it was a week ago. Kentucky. Arizona, Oklahoma, and Duke. And you'll take Kentucky? Uh, well, okay. <laughs> That's a good point you bring up. I took Duke, but it was mostly because I feel like the only way you can win your pool this year is to not pick Kentucky. Right. Uh, do I actually believe Duke would be Kentucky? <laughs> not really, but I wanted to be different, so I picked Duke.
1: Yeah. I'm really jealous because I am in one I'm in one that's got about thirty or forty people and my brother has Wisconsin. And it's like he's the only one of anyone who has them. And it's like, wow, I should have done what you did just because it worked out perfect for him because, you know, Wisconsin may or may not win it, but he's got a one seed as the only one who picked them and is guaranteed to win if they win. You know, it's a nice uh That's pretty amazing. Yeah. You
3: know. Yeah, if you pick Kentucky in your pool and there's a, you know, assuming there's a large number of people in the pool, then basically the entire thing comes down to how you do in the early rounds where you have a crapshoot. So that was why I recommended people, they, you know, if Kentucky wins it, you know, great. But, you know, you probably weren't going to win your pool anyway. So if you have a hunch about another team, just follow it. I pick Kentucky.
1: The reason I'm still, I'm not mathematically eliminated it's because I have Oklahoma like you do. So there you go. if I can get Oklahoma Get yeah, out the other way to nail the Final Four. Right. Yeah. All right, Stuart, uh, at SL Mandel on Twitter. Anything else you want to plug about where you're going to be writing or appearing or anything like that that I didn't mention?
3: Just, uh, you know, never fear. Uh, if you're somebody who is more used to me covering football, uh, don't yeah. worry. I will be back at it as soon as the tournament ends.
1: All right. Thanks so much, bud. Fun talking to you. All right. Thank you. All right, I want to thank Stuart Dell for being on the podcast today. I uh, always love talking college sports with him. Quick book club update. Uh, book club book of the month this month. Uh, last month we did the film Back to a Book. Uh, figured with the NCAA basketball tournament going on, uh, we'd do a college basketball book. And uh, a friend of the program, Rob Mish, who wrote uh, the book about uh, Bryce Harper that we featured a year, year and a half ago now, a really great book, has a new book, one he's very proud of. It's called 11th Heaven. It's about Ed O'Bannon and the 1995 national basketball champion UCLA Bruins. Uh, So uh, UCLA in the Sweet 16 this year. Uh, Ed O'Bannon obviously getting a lot of press for his uh, fight against the NCAA for using his likeness in the uh, video game. Do you ever watch John Oliver's show?
2: Last week tonight, yeah, and I flipped through it a little bit, but not. uh, They
1: just did a big thing, kind of bashing the NCAA. Okay, pretty well done. Yeah, and Ed O'Bannon was a big part of that, uh, helping to bash the NCAA, which is very bashable uh, at times for sure. Uh, But yeah, a a really great book. Ed O'Bannon, the 1995 National Basketball Champion UCL Bruins, Eleventh Heaven by our friend Rob Mish, who uh, wrote the book we featured. A probably a year and a half ago now, uh, about Bryce Harper, a really great writer, and he'll be on with us next week or the week after to talk about the book. We're going to take a break and come back with uh, Ryan Lambert. Our next guest lives in Boston and is a graduate of UMass Lowell, he covers hockey for the Puck Daddy blog on Yahoo.com and is making his first appearance on the podcast today, a Warren Sportscaster's welcome to Ryan Lambert. What's up, Hello. Ryan? How you doing, man? I'm not too bad. How about you? Pretty good. Uh, excited about the, uh, the hockey tournament this weekend and um, I knew I wanted to talk to someone uh, about it on the show this week, but... It's so hard because I just feel like when you're thinking about people who cover college hockey, they fall into a couple categories. One, they only know about the team that they cover and the teams that are kind of directly around them. Uh, There's not a lot of people who really have a big-picture view of the NCAA hockey as a whole, I feel like. And then uh, the other um, side is uh, people who are just very – they have a good view of it as a whole, but they're very biased to whatever uh, sect of it that they focus on. And uh, so I emailed uh, Wish and said, hey, who covers it for you? And he said, uh, that's Lambert and he gave me your email. So here we are. So I don't know. What do you think about the overall coverage of college hockey and the way I kind of described it?
4: Um, I, I think you are more or less correct about it. Um, I. I always say that like the worst thing about college hockey is the people who cover it um, for for basically that reason uh, because you know like you get a lot of homerism, you get a lot of uh get a lot of like complaining about things and like well this team's good because they win a lot and like just like the more the most base level analysis that you could possibly imagine. Is really all you get in this sport, and it really um you know I think it's a sport that deserves better in in terms of how it's covered and analyzed
1: now there's no doubt about the fact that I have an extreme homerism and bias when it comes to college hockey right now, and everyone who listens to the show uh, knows that but um I was thinking about the parawise a lot, obviously over the last uh however many days and it just really feels like a system that there's got to be a better way. Um, and it's not because it didn't uh, work out for my team, because it actually has twice now uh, technically worked out very well for my team. But uh, it just, I don't know, there was there was points this weekend where uh, a com- the ECAC might have only been a one-bid team. They ended up being a league. They were three. Uh, you have a conference with six teams. Um, the NCAA gives an automatic bid to a league that only has six teams in it, another league that only has eight. Um, Atlanta hockey figures in there somehow. It, it Just what are your thoughts on pairwise, and, and isn't there a better way to do this?
4: Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I think that, you know, any there are a lot of ways that it could be improved. Um, I Honestly, I would say, you know, get rid of the auto bids altogether, Honest, Honestly. Um, Because, you know, in in any league that's worth talking about, the team that wins the league or, you know, the league championship is generally going to be a team that would get would be one of the top 16 teams in the country anyway. The only league for which that's almost never true is Atlantic Hockey. Right. And so, you know, if we don't have to have Atlantic Hockey in the NCAA tournament, I don't think anybody's complaining about that.
1: Right, but then you almost can't have them in the NCAA.
4: Well, sure you can because um, who was it? Canisius a couple of years ago, I think, was a uh, was an at large bid. Niagara um, was
1: the at large, I think. Okay, Canisius, Canisius won, the won the tournament. tournament. That's right. what it was. Yeah.
4: Um, but yeah, like so, it's not impossible, right? But you got to make them earn it, and you know, the, and the thing I always say is like, um, who who was the first team out? Was it? Was it
1: Bowling Green this year? Yeah, I think so, technically.
4: If you put Bowling Green, who I don't even have that high an opinion of this season, but if you put Bowling Green in Atlantic Hockey, they might not lose a game. You know? Like, certainly um, the other teams that were just out were Michigan and Lowell. Um, And if you put them in Atlantic Hockey, they have that auto bid sewn up, you know, October one. You know, it's just not even, I think it's, it's not a, even close. I think
1: it's a little bit better than that. I mean, UConn, how did UConn do this year?
4: I, fin- I think they finished 11th in Hockey East.
1: Okay, so. They were
4: bad. They right, were they really were bad. bad. Um, And, you know, they want, they, the thing with UConn is they won a couple games early. They beat BC. They tied BU.
1: Um, And, and I they're think to they a beat- large degree an Atlantic team at this point still.
4: Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. And right. they did it on the f- strength of Rob Nichols, who is a pretty good goalie, was unstoppable for, you know, two months of the season and then kind of came back to earth a little bit.
1: Yeah, I, I would probably tend to give Atlantic a little bit more credit than you, but not not much, but maybe a little bit more. Um... I mean, I, you know, Robert Morris was the best team in Atlantic hockey
4: this year, right. and they didn't... Uh, you know, they didn't earn their way, but and again, best team by far, right. and they didn't earn their way into the into it with the pair-wise,
1: you know? And yeah, they weren't say, close, I don't think. I mean, they were in the no, 30s. No, they were like 38 right. yeah. or something. They're in the 30s, yeah. Well, it, was, um, it wasn't a great year for me to be making this argument. Obviously, I would have, if we were talking in 2013, uh, I would have a, a better case. I think it's a little bit better than you do, but probably not much in reality. So, I mean, I, I don't want to turn this into a, crying for atlantic hockey because I, I don't have it much uh higher of an opinion than of it than you do but in the same sense i mean the big 10 is i mean almost as bad well
4: yes and no. I, I know
1: they have a crown jewel team i suppose in minnesota but i mean and michigan is a, a fine team as well but the michigan, other four teams so
4: here's my thing with michigan if they had any kind of goaltending this year we're not sitting here talking about Oh well, you know they weren't that good this year because they were pretty good this year. They just didn't have any goaltending at all. And what I, you know, it's that old saying about hockey in general, right? Like if you don't have a goalie, you don't have a team. Right. Um. There are very few exceptions to that, even at this level. I mean, Quinnipiac, I guess, has uh, Michael Gartig, who's not he's all not right. Very who's not very good at all. Um. He he's okay. Right. He's okay. But, yeah. But and he he doesn't need to be better than okay for them to be this successful, but like if you put say a goalie who's nine twenty instead of nine ten on that team, Quinnipiac never loses a game. Hmm. You know, so like that that's that's the whole that's the power of goaltending where Quinnipiac would probably be a number one bit if they got nine twenty goaltending this year.
1: Hmm. Well. I mean, there. The, we're also talking about a team that only you know they have. They're not that deep scoring wise, and I don't know how great their defense is, which might be part of the reason why they got nine ten goaltending.
4: Well, I mean, there's that, but there's also. I mean, if you look at the the possession numbers, the, they were so much better than almost everybody in the in the country. I think the only team ahead of them was like Minnesota State, who they play in the WCHA, which it's easier to put up good possession numbers when you play. Huntsville four times um but you know I've seen Quinnipiac a bunch of times this year and I I think they're really really good um and hampered mainly by that and obviously I think they probably would have won the ECAC tournament if Sam Anis had been healthy
1: uh well maybe uh, but Harvard, I mean, is playing as well. Oh, as they, yeah, the I mean, they
4: came together at the right time, getting right. McNally back, and VZ started scoring after, like, a very brief period of not doing it, and McCulloch, pretty good in net again. So, you know, Harvard has some very high-level players, but I'd say, like, you know, if it's a seven-game series or whatever, and everybody's healthy, Quinnipiac probably wins it.
1: Right, I wonder how much McNally's gonna have uh, have left uh, this weekend. Because I, I'll tell you what, when when he, I was sitting behind the Harvard net uh, for Game One of uh, the L Series, and when he skated out, when they called his name to start the game, and he skated out, I was like, "This kid, he can't even skate," you know. And then I was talking to his father um, er, uh, later in the night, just uh, randomly, tell me what kind of injury he's dealing with, and I, I just don't know. Uh, I give him a lot of credit because he played unbelievable all three games and uh, all three games were played at a really high level. And the, th- the third one even had, you know, what, five periods or whatever. But uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how much he has left. And if it's not much, um, if uh, VC can continue to carry the team. But, yeah, no, I mean,
4: I, I, th- I think Harvard's a perfectly good team. Um, I think they overachieved in in that early part of the season where they just couldn't get beaten by anybody ever. Um, I, I You know, obviously they overachieved. They went like 10-1 in the first 11 games, and nobody's that good. But, but I don't
1: think anyone beat them except for Yale until like the middle of January.
4: Right, And yeah. but once they started losing, they started losing a lot. Right. Um, and it, it, it coincided with a bunch of injuries, but I think part of it, too, was just regression, because I don't think McCulloch is a— you know, 945 goalie or whatever he was for the first two months
1: of the season. But he's, he's played that way in the playoffs. So he's really stepped. his. Oh no. Yeah. yeah. I
4: mean, he can, he can certainly play to that level. It's not like, but you know, over, a, over a 35, 40 game season, I don't, I don't see him being that good. Um, I don't frankly, because I don't think anybody's
1: that good. What did you think about the committee deciding to reward Providence?
4: I don't know that they decided to reward Providence so much as they were terrified that nobody would go to that regional. Yeah. I mean, like this is my thing. So all these people are like, well, if this happens and this happens and this happens, then this is what's where such and such a team is going to be placed. And like, I don't pay attention to any of that until the season ends. And then like where teams get placed, I'm just like, eh, okay. You know what I mean? Like, if you t- if you you know take BU out of Manchester and send them out to Notre Dame or whatever, BU is still going to be the best team in that regional. You know it doesn't it doesn't matter that they get to sleep in their own beds. They're probably not going to sleep in their own beds. They're almost certainly going to stay up in Manchester. Right. So it doesn't really matter. The only thing that ma- that it, the only people it matters for really are probably the fans because now BU fans can go much more easily because they just have to drive an hour instead of fly.
1: Well, and anyone would rather play Miami than BU right now too. So I mean, I think,
4: Uh, yeah, I mean,
1: especially without Coleman and, uh, and assuming that the, uh, the other guy doesn't play the one who limped out to the, uh, I can't, yeah. th- can't think of his name right now for whatever reason. But, it uh, is
4: also escaping me. I'm, yeah, but,
1: one of their other stars, essentially. I yeah, think. I mean, yeah.
4: so here's my thing with BU. is like BU has a pretty good team. They're pretty good, but they have a guy who can just decide, well, I'm going to have two goals tonight and the game's over.
1: Right. They have a you generational I mean? like, player.
4: That's basically – like Lowell did a pretty good job in that hockey's title game, but Jack Eichel made – three great individual plays, and that was the difference in the game.
1: You know, I watched that game really closely, and one thing, obviously cheering for BU again, they made me nervous because they don't play any defense. I think they, well, they played four, four freshmen on D, and they don't they don't play 200 feet very hard either.
4: No, I mean, they have two very good defensemen, I think very highly, both Matt Grislick and uh, Brandon Hickey, but you know, Brandon Fortunato is okay. Um and Brian Diffley, I think has come along this season but I don't think he's like you know a a a, re, a huge difference maker um and so you know they they have they have some holes in the lineup for sure uh they you know I I don't think their their center situation is all that great apart from Eichel um I don't know I don't know how good people think Robbie Balearigon is but I'm I'm not among the people who think he's like a huge difference maker at this level. Um, So I don't know. I I think, like I say, I think BU is a perfectly good team. a good ish team. Um, I think without Eichel and like, say you swap out Eichel for any this. Okay. So this was a hypothetical post to me was if BU doesn't have Eichel, but they do get that scholarship and they get to go out and get somebody else. Where do you think they finish in hockey East? And I don't know, like five or six is my answer. Out of
1: right. out of twelve, which makes them very beatable in a one game uh, a one game opportunity because the right game plan, uh, bad lunch for Eichel, whatever they're vulnerable. I don't. It, well, in theory, yes,
4: but I mean they have good he... goaltending
1: though too, which we haven't mentioned.
4: I I think uh, Matt O'Connor is his stats this year are better than what he actually is, if that makes sense. Like I think he's having a very good year, obviously. But you know what I don't understand is like this line of NHL teams around the block that are clamoring to sign him. Um, he's 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 pretty good, but I think his main asset is that he's big, um, and he's gonna.
1: They should be lining up. Of, they should be lining up around the block to sign Alex Lyon.
4: I one thousand percent agree with that. If it, you know, like, if it's hey, the, this uh, this underclassman goaltender UFA guy, right. That I want to sign. Like I'd much rather have Alex Lyon than Matt O'Connor. Um, he's you know for one thing he's younger, but also like I th- I think the numbers are a little more reliable than what O'Connor puts up. You know, like I, go- I think I think this I think what he's done this year is maybe a better representation of what he is.
1: Yeah, and, and you know I think everyone always talks about how nobody leaves Yale, or nobody leaves Harvard. It's interesting because right. I think. I, I'd be shocked if, uh, if V didn't leave, and I have no uh, inside information. I, I talked to Alex on Sunday uh, and kind of asked him about it, but not really. I have no idea what he would decide to do, but I'd be surprised if he didn't leave too. Uh, and Rob O'Gara should leave as well, but he won't. He'll be back, I'm sure. But yeah,
4: I, to, to that end, I think I think O'Gara and uh, and Lyon both stay, and I think V Z probably does go. Um, Anytime you see a guy break thirty goals in a season, you can be like, you know what, have a have a good pro career. Right, especially in the
1: Ivy League. I I know he's up to thirty six games now, so it's not quite as bad as it can be. But
4: I mean, what is that like? Eight point five goals per game? Like that's insane.
1: Yeah, he's having an an insane. He had an insane year, and and watching him too, he uh, looks just. He sees the ice a lot faster than everyone else out there. It feels like um the winning goal, for example, in the Har- the Yale um Harvard uh, game three that he scored uh I mean it was just a, a rebound that Alex couldn't control off a off a face off and he just happened to be standing there alone, but he got to that spot so quick, and Mitch Wittick, who is the guy for Yale standing there who's a really fantastic defenseman as well, and was beating himself up on the goal just didn't see the play develop as fast as he did and Wittick is a a very good NCAA defenseman he's just he's just seeing it a lot quicker than everyone else i think yeah
4: i th- i think that's kind of what separates um i mean that's true at any level but in college i feel like there's a much broader disparity like you know in the best player in the NHL sees plays develop a lot like a, a lot closer to the worst player in the NHL than the best player in college does to the worst player in college.
1: You know what I mean? Absolutely, yeah.
4: Um and so that's what makes people really great at this level. Johnny Gaudreau last year, for example. Um that kid saw the play 3 steps ahead of everybody else.
1: Dustin Spear as well. Both of Shane, them. Shane yeah.
4: Dustin is the same way. Yeah. Um it, but you know, the the worst player And I say this a lot, um, like I use this example, but like, you know, in the NHL, if the best team and the worst team played each other a thousand times, the best team's probably going to win 55, 60% of those games. If the best team and the worst team in college played each other a thousand times, I mean, I can't even imagine how ugly it gets between, let's say, North Dakota and Huntsville over a thousand games
1: you know right. yeah. like that
4: would be a bloodbath
1: oh yeah <laughs> so yeah.
4: so that that's kind of what i think the the big difference is and the other thing with college is obviously like systems matter way more um than they do at the nhl level the farther you get from the the highest levels of of play the more coaching matters i feel like
1: yeah what do you what do you want to see what are you interested in in this tournament specifically obviously everyone's going to be watching Michael. Yeah. Um, and uh, I guess VC at this point is going to attract similar attention. Not quite to the level of Michael, but I think that's a newer name that is coming to the general.
4: Well, I, th- I think the other so thing is like,
1: if
4: you're a Jimmy VC, if you're like worried about Jimmy VC, you're really just a Predators or a Harvard fan. True. You know what I mean? But, but he's like, a
1: new name and, and McKenzie gave him some cred too. So I think people will be interested to see him, but go ahead for you. What do you, who do you want to see this weekend?
4: Um, I'm interested to see the Providence Regional. I think that I'm I'm going to both of the days of that probably. Okay, and you know I, I'm really really interested in um in basically both of those games. I, I think I think BC Denver could be a really good one. I think Denver's better, but um you know B, BC's certainly got some talent. Noah Hannifin is I've seen that kid maybe ten times this year, and boy oh boy is he good.
1: Right, third pick. Good,
4: probably. Yeah, I, I think I think the
0: depending are starting on starting to
4: say it's more like four or five. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you took him with the third pick, you wouldn't not be getting really great value. With probably the
1: pick. first defenseman off the board.
4: Oh, uh, not even probably. Right. He will one thousand percent be the be- the first defenseman off the board.
1: Right. Um.
4: But then you know, in the late game, there, Providence and Miami, that has the potential to be a really good game. Um. I went to uh Providence and Miami played a series here last year or down in Providence rather and I I went to both games of that and those are just two really good games like um you know John Gillies was great and the Miami offense is really good Austin Zarnick doesn't come off the ice that kind of thing it's re- it's really fun
1: um Right, it's too bad they're going to be missing the two guys.
4: Yeah, that that's that's the only thing that it really is like. That's a good way to put it. It's
1: it's really
4: too bad, and not like you know. I I still don't know if I like Providence to win that game, even despite those two guys missing, because Pro- Providence just really doesn't have much of an offense. That I think they've been a little unlucky this year, but also, um, you know, I, I I think I think a lot of people were just disappointed with how many goals they scored. Honestly, and probably not the least of which is Nate Lehman. But even despite that, they finished second in Hockey East. You know, so like they're they're a pretty good team.
1: Hockey East second place team isn't often, uh, you know, 16 seed in this tournament.
4: Yeah, no, for sure not. Um, And then, hell, the other game I'm going to this weekend, which is Minnesota and Duluth on on Friday afternoon, is going to be great.
1: Yeah, um, foul is supposed to be back for Duluth. He's been out for a while, sick, I guess. Yeah. I read. He's a Buffalo kid. Um, pretty good. Uh, should help them. It's too bad for Quinnipiac, as we said earlier, that Anus isn't going to be there. Because they could have taken a run at North Dakota. I wasn't impressed with them at all this weekend. I'm sure nobody was. But question how hard they tried, obviously, in the second game.
4: Well, you know, <clears throat> I don't think... I, I've been saying for a couple of weeks now that I don't think North Dakota is as good as the record. Right, the, the McMillan the,
1: injury really hurt. For sure. Well,
4: even beyond that, like they're 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 a team that they have middling possession numbers, um, but they've just got they they just have one of the best goalies in the country this year, you know? And that like I said, that's gonna win you a lot more games than you probably deserve.
1: So I still think that there's at least fourteen teams that could win this. I,
4: I don't know that I'd go quite that. That's far, ambitious. But...
1: That's ambitious, but I mean... Six o- or
4: seven? Yeah. That, no, I'd, like, go,
1: I'd go higher than that.
4: Any team... Well, let me put it this way. Um, any Basically, any team that makes the Frozen Four...
1: Can win. And it, it
4: really... Like, that could be anybody.
1: Mm-hmm. Except but, like I RIT would, probably like, isn't going to win.
4: If any of these teams made the Frozen Four, I'd be like... Th- there are very few that I'd be like, well, I don't know if they have a chance. I, I might say Omaha... Well, RIT, obviously. Right. Um, but, like, Omaha, I don't think... Is of that caliber.
1: Um, yeah, their season really fizzled they, out too. Yeah. yeah. Well,
4: again, they're another, they, they had bad, like outright bad possession numbers, but their goalie was just awesome for the first four months of the year, and re- it really like dragged that team kicking and screaming into the NCAA tournament. Honestly, um, and I also don't think too highly of Michigan Tech. Again, really good goalie, but. If you're only the second place team in the WCHA, I'm not really sure how good
1: you actually are. Right? How would you rank the conferences this year?
4: Um, in terms of like top to bottom quality, yeah. Uh, probably. Uh, well, I mean, not probably. You'd have to go NCHC, Hockey East, um. I'd say probably ECAC and Big Ten are pretty close to tied because there was some pretty bad teams at the bottom of the ECAC.
1: Right. Well, um, there's two bad teams.
4: I I'd, I'd say a little bit more than that, but fair enough. Um, and then WCHA and then obviously Atlantic Hockey.
1: Right. Interesting. Well, it's going to be a great tournament. Uh, I'm a little bit ambitious as to far as as far as who as I think could win it. Maybe a little bit more so than you, but. You know, it's sim- it's single elimination hockey, which which is exactly. interesting. interesting, uh, obviously. And there's a lot of goalies all across the bracket that can steal games.
4: That's that is also very true. It's been a ve- it's been a year. It's been for a year goalies for goalies for, for, sure, for sure.
1: Yeah, and you know, someone, one of the goalies is going to steal one too the first weekend. You know, oh, I, of
4: course, yeah. I mean, that's how it always goes. Right? Yeah, um,
1: yeah. So, frankly,
4: I wouldn't be surprised if it's Alex Lyon.
1: I wouldn't be surprised either. I mean, I try not to say things like that because it sure. doesn't, doesn't mean anything out of my mouth. You know what I mean? But, uh, yeah. I think some, I saw a tweet that said that the, someone said they, they can't figure out a way that Yale yeah, beats BU be unless it's a felony, uh, which I assume the felony would be larceny or stealing from Lion.
4: Oh, I, I, I would assume it would be felony assault on Jack Eichel before <laughs> the game.
1: Oh, okay. Well, they won't do that. They're, they're really good kids. So I don't think it would be that felony. But, uh, uh, maybe the, uh, the larceny thing is a thing, but, um, it, well, it doesn't matter what I think about, yeah, like I said, cause nobody, nobody listening is going to take it for anything more than someone who, uh, who knows the guys really well and has watched the team for four straight years now. And it believes a lot in two of the guys that are coming back from injury, especially one of them. So, you know, uh, it doesn't matter to me, uh, what people, what I say about them, but it will be interesting uh it's 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 my favorite event uh every year uh it's very underrated um and uh thanks for talking to me about it for so long i like oh
4: no problem at all
1: yeah i had a really uh really fun time talking with the uh sarcastic dude who uh who doesn't put enough who puts too much pressure on henrik lundquist uh for not marching into his country of russia and uh (laughs) battling the government for being mean to the gays
4: yeah, uh, I you know I try.
1: <laughs> Thanks, Ryan. Oh wait, you, you wanna you wanna put some stuff out Twitter and uh, um, what you're writing about where people can find you. I mean, yeah, I'm people on know Buck Daddy. Daddy. I
4: write for College Hockey News. Uh, you can find me. I'm not. I, I I feel like people have enough access to my opinions on the sport.
1: <laughs> All right, Ryan. It was fun. Enjoy the uh, so games much. this weekend. All right.
3: I think you know what I want. Something tasteful. Something with red roses in it. I like that.
0: Oh, the rose. <coughs> the rose is a flower of passion which can be fully appreciated for its... Murdoch, just go. You should take care and watch your attitude when speaking to people with fragile psyches. What's more, you give the impression that your attitude is singularly and pointedly directed at an individual, when in fact you're just one mean, angry sucker to everybody. Get! Go on! not talk to Murak like that.
1: Alright, I want to thank Ryan Lambert for being on the podcast today. Didn't really know much about Ryan until then. Interesting that his, uh, I don't know what profile it is, but one of them says that I know more about college hockey than you. That's kind of his tagline. And uh, I don't think he knows more than me, but uh, he can believe that anyway. It's nice of Ryan to come on. It's, uh, I don't know, Wednesday night at this point. I was just kind of packing my bag here. To get ready to go to New Hampshire and uh, before I finished the show and put it together and sent it out to Don so you guys could hear it and before I left for New Hampshire I thought it would be cool to take a second and talk to a couple of the boys that I'm going to watch. So before I started recording this I got Anthony who everyone who listens to the show knows and his teammate Mike Doherty on the line. What's up boys. Anthony, why don't you say hi what? first? Go ahead, Anthony. Don't be shy. Say hello to everyone. Has Anthony perished? Mike, are you there? Oh no,
5: sorry. I will talking you. I'm here, Steve-O.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. See, you were lost there. Yeah. I was
5: yeah. I was lost. Yeah. No, it's gonna be back. This was uh this is this was good luck last time, so hopefully it's the same. Well,
1: well how how was uh how was that weekend for you for you guys? Was it were you guys nervous all weekend or what?
5: I don't know, I think we we're just more kind of clueless all weekend. We had really had no idea what was going on all week, really. And then um I thought we thought it was over, you know, when we lost to Harvard, and then we thought it was over when say cloud lost and then next thing you know we're in it. So uh, it was just a weird week of being in limbo. <laughs>
1: Yeah, Mike, uh, I was kind of texting with Anthony and uh, Hayden had texted me a couple of times. Nico texted me. And it was frustrating because I think everyone had led us to believe that it was all kind of about St. Cloud losing twice and then going from there. And then when it was clear that St. Cloud was going to win, I know, Anthony, you had pretty much said that you were done. And I texted you and said, no, I think there's still like a 3% chance (coughs) left or so but Mike what was your attitude when St. Cloud lost?
6: Yeah I think the same the same thing that you're you're saying here I think we had a bunch of guys watching the St. Cloud games thinking that uh, we needed them to lose so once once they won we thought our season was over again so it just kind of kept happening that every time we thought we were over it seemed like we still were alive and then we woke up the next day and somehow we had
1: 25% chance of getting in, so it was it was pretty wild week. You know what's really funny about those percentages is one is they treat every scenario equally. So like when there was 3 million scenarios left going into the weekend and they were saying that you guys had a 4% chance or whatever, that was assuming that the most likely possibility was is equal to the least likely. And then another really interesting thing is when you said you guys went up to the 20s, you're actually a lot higher because the Atlantic game didn't affect any of the scenarios left. So they were they were looking at all these scenarios if R. I. T. won and then also looking that, at them if Mercyhurst won, when in reality that that meant nothing. So you were more like in the forty percent at that time. So in the end it's all just way too yeah. uh, too complicated for anyone to understand, really.
5: Right. Yeah, it was brutal. Once we kind of knew we needed Harvard and BU to win, I think we are all pretty confident that that. I mean, those are the favorites in both those games. So it was just kind of wild. How it went from no chance to having, like, two pretty big favorites needing to win for us to make it.
1: What did you guys watch on Saturday night and where? We
6: were we were flipping back and forth from from both games, the Harvard game and, and the BU game. Um, at the house, we were all watching it, hoping, hoping that both those games would win.
1: And, uh, yeah, we were just we were splitting back and forth. Yeah, we'll talk about BU in a second, but I thought that um, that Harvard game felt completely in hand until they got the second goal, and then it was like a seven-minute scramble, it seemed like. And they came really close, too, almost right before the shorthanded goal when the Harvard goalie was sitting on his butt, and I think they might even hit the post. Yeah, they hit the post, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, so... Sure, they went
5: across far, and then they went down and scored.
1: Right. They could all right. Yeah, so that got a little nerve-wracking there. I was almost more worried about uh, BU despite them being ahead cuz it never felt like they at all. It didn't feel like a really big game cuz it just felt like BU was only really trying an offense. I know they play four freshmen on D and then they have a stud who tries to kind of hold things down back there, but I would think that you guys are going to try to take advantage of their inexperience on that side of the rink, right?
5: Yeah, I definitely think yeah, that's, um, we're gonna try
1: to do. Yeah, uh, what did you guys think of watching uh, BU? Obviously, everyone talks about Eichel, but I don't know what else is. Do you guys uh, what else sticks out when you watch that team? Prepare for that team.
6: Yeah, um, I Mike. think up, I think up front they're they're just a pretty deep team. Um, you know, they got a lot of offensive, offensively capable guys. Obviously, Jack sticks out um you know with all the buzz that he gets but they also get you know a lot of contributions <laughs> from, their, from their from their back end as well so um i think we we can't just concentrate on on eichel and in that line and we have to be pretty pretty diligent with with all their lines um on friday
1: it always <laughs> seems like yale hockey is yale hockey at its best when you guys are kind of rolling the lines. Quite a bit, and I almost think them being the higher seed is a little bit of an advantage because I felt like watching the game, the game three especially against Harvard a couple weeks ago, kind of felt like we got a little bit stuck in matching lines a little bit too much and kind of gave up that advantage of kind of rolling the lines, and especially later in the game. Um, So maybe it, it's a little bit of an advantage to, uh, to be putting your line out first and, and to kind of just rolling with the game a little bit more and not having to... Not focusing focusing so much on matchups, as you said, it's it's more than just the Jack Eichel show.
5: Yeah, I mean it's no different than I mean this team's no different than when we when we played Minnesota or like North Dakota. I mean, I mean those teams are just as talented. It's just the fact that I think our they don't really know how we play or our style. I just think that you know we come from a, a league where it's more you know predominantly like defensive hockey. Starts and then and then that leads the offense. Or I think their league's more offensive. But I mean, for me, knowing how it was like to play Minnesota and not Dakota, I don't think it's any different. I mean, yeah, they have you know a generational talent, Jack Eichel, but you know, I think it's still the same as playing you know the Minnesota two years ago. But I mean, obviously, it's 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 going to be a, a big task to handle Eichel and you know and the guys below him who you know put up a ton of points too. But you know I love our defense and I love our goalie and I'm confident that we could, uh, you know, score some goals and get the game.
1: Mike, where were you two years ago, and what do you remember about? I'm sure watching Yale's yeah, uh, a run to the uh, t- through the tournament.
6: Yeah, I had just finished up uh, juniors in the EJ. Uh, I played played for the Islanders and my season was over. So I was actually coaching. Uh, Coaching a JV high school lacrosse team with one of my buddies, and we would go to practice every day, then come home and and watch the games. And I just remember being being just as pumped. Um, you know, I felt like I was in the game almost, just watching watching the national championship um, at my house. With I think we had like 20, 20 family members over the house, and I wasn't even you know there yet, obviously. So it was really cool to watch. And you know, we're hoping to make a run, a similar run this year.
1: Now, Mike, you have huge crews coming to watch you. It's a lot. Uh, it reminds me a lot of uh, my family through the years. And I admire your crew because there is just so many young kids that I was we were walking out of the rink together on, I think, Saturday, and I was getting tired just walking behind them. Now, this game is really close. This game is really close to where you're from. So you, you're going to be packing it with uh, with 24 fans or what? Oh yeah, for sure. I think the whole crew's coming down again, and probably, probably even more. Um, I'll have the family
6: there, and then a lot of friends have been texting me who uh, can't really make the trip down to New Haven, but they're they're going to college in New Hampshire as is, so they're gonna they're gonna swing over too. So it'll be it'll be fun for sure.
1: Are those your cousins? All those little guys? Like are those cousins, or do you have younger brothers? Yeah, they're all, or what's... all little cousins, and then I have two two younger brothers and I have a younger sister but she's in she's in college as well she's in where does she go to college she plays lacrosse at Vanderbilt oh that's cool that's a nice school right yeah Was that in Nashville is that right yeah right Nashville Nashville yeah very cool very cool well I'm excited to see uh both of you guys for sure and a big reason I wanted to do this and I, I'm glad I'm glad Mike I'm glad you're the one who who came on with them because I think you can relate to some of this stuff but a real reason I wanted to do this today was because I really wanted, um, Anthony to hear, uh, and the listeners of the show. We have loyal listeners. Uh, there might not be millions of them, but they're, they're loyal and they roll their eyes. I think a lot when we, uh, talk about, when I talk about Anthony, cause I talk about him a lot, but I just wanted to say going into this, um, just how proud I am of you, Anthony. uh, you know, I know how hard you work to get back, uh, to be out there this weekend and, um. You know, I just wanted to make sure you knew how proud I was of you against Harvard and uh, how excited I am to come down there this weekend and watch you uh, play. Um, And it's been a long time since really the results of the games or the outcomes of the games mattered to me. It's always been about uh, how exciting it was just to be there with you and to watch with you. And last time, you know, when you guys were in the regionals, I was still really sick and couldn't go. So it feels really good to be healthy this time and to be going down there. And I'm really happy you're healthy. So close, man. And I'm, I'm so proud of you. So uh, I love you. I love you too, Mike. Um, I'm proud of you guys. I love Yale Hockey. It's been an amazing four years, and I'm looking forward to the weekend.
5: Yeah, Thanks, Steve. I appreciate it. Love
1: you, brother. All right, guys. You guys have a good night, and I'll see you tomorrow. And uh, all right, Steve. We, Thanks all right, for having me on, Then All right, we'll be right back with uh, Mike Johnson. Our next guest is a New Yorker who's been writing about wrestling full-time since 2004 for PWInsider.com where he also does a lot of audio work. This guy was uh, doing the wrestling podcast thing before podcasts about wrestling were a thing. Uh, he's making his first appearance on the Sportscasters today. A warm welcome to uh, Mike Johnson.
0: How you how you guys doing? <laughs>
1: Good. How you doing, buddy?
0: I'm doing good. Uh, you, guys, uh, you guys are the last people I talked to before I got on an airplane to go to uh, San Francisco. So, uh, very happy to be here. And uh, I popped for the old school WrestleMania music. I, I have expected to hear Vince go, Sergeant Slaughter. <laughs>
1: that, I don't know, just still hearing that, you know, it's, uh, I think, it, I can't remember who, I, actually, I know, it was David Shoemaker who said this on this podcast. He said, you know, for a large, to a large degree, wrestling exists in people's past. And that's not even a negative thing, uh, because it does sort of exist in my past, despite it still being a big part of my present. And uh, just whenever I hear that, it just brings me back to a time that uh, it was—it was real. It was a more pure and simple then, I guess, for a seven-year-old me when I watched WrestleMania three, uh, fully invested in the Steamboat Savage thing. I mean, believing—I mean, I thought, you know, uh, when 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 Savage hit Steamboat with the bell, you know, my throat hurt.
0: I I know how you feel. And you know, they say this about wrestling. Um, you know, the best wrestling was whatever you grew up on. And there's a similar saying about the comic book universe. Uh, like there's all the arguments on what was the best version of the Avengers or the best version of the justice league. And it's just whatever the version was when you started to read comic books. I think that's, I think it's true with wrestling who is the greatest wrestler of all time. Well, chances are for you, it was whoever the champion was when you discovered wrestling.
1: Yeah. And I, I, I think that, that that's fair. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, I know that my grandpa actually, you know, introduced me to wrestling and, you know, the, the names, uh, on his list were, were the, the old, old, you know, Stu, Har- I, I just picture my grandpa watching two guys laying on the mat, you know, for 45 minutes, just kind of barely moving, you know, and then my dad was a big Bruno San Martino guy. And, you know, I was obviously a huge Hogan guy and, and you know, so I, I was actually thinking last night. I was watching a, a goofy video on the the network. Uh, it was like a wrestler reaction thing or something from something they had posted on YouTube. And they were showing these like stung looks on on little kids' faces when Cena had lost the match. And I was thinking, oh man, you know, I wish I had like a seven year old son right now that was a huge. Uh, Cena mark that I could troll around to the rinks with, and <laughs> that'd be really fun. Well,
0: uh, one of these days, you never know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I want to ask you two real, uh, non-WrestleMania things real quick, and, sure. and then I want to get, uh, obviously into WrestleMania, because it's always exciting, uh, a WrestleMania week, uh, for a fan, uh. Even if you're kind of out a little bit, I feel like you tap you tap back in a bit for WrestleMania. A lot I, think I think
0: I think WrestleMania has kind of evolved into like the Super Bowl, where even if you're not a wrestling fan, there's kind of like, oh, it's that time of year again. Right. Let's uh, let's see what let's see what Hulk Hogan's doing, you know, like to the average fan, or or what's going on with with Stone Cold. Like the they may not be associated uh, emotionally with the current guys, but the WWE or the WWF or whatever you want to call it these days um there there's a reaction to oh okay you know and i think it's kind of turned into the the one show where you might not watch every week but if you if you have even uh, a minor interest in wrestling chances are that's the one show you're going to tune into and check out
1: yeah we did this really cool thing a couple months ago with the guys who wrote the uh death to wcw book Mm-hmm. and uh I don't know, I was talking to one of the guys uh, right before we started, just kind of chit-chatting a little bit as we were getting ready to roll, and I kind of had mentioned um, uh, what we had done wrestling-wise in the podcast, and at that point it had been mostly uh, talking to guys from the mainstream sports world that were covering wrestling for those sites, Shoemaker for Grantland, for example. And I kind of got this sense, although nobody said anything, uh, uh, the guy, I don't remember if it was Alvarez or or, uh, or his partner, uh, which one it was, but he didn't say anything. But I kind of got the sense like maybe people who have been covering wrestling on the internet uh, for wrestling sites for a long time, maybe aren't all that thrilled or comfortable with the mainstream wrestling writers that are covering it is is that a thing or did i just I mean like set- do i
0: get mad like say like somebody writes about it for rolling like rolling stone just yeah articles.
1: rolling stone no you Grant- know what
0: I, here's how i look at it okay? okay yeah all right here's how i look at it i'm a beat reporter my beat is pro wrestling so my beat is wwe my beat is tna my beat is ring of honor my beat is the independent my beat is anything to involve them to do with wrestling i am one of a very select few individuals who can legitimately say that they write about wrestling for a living. They are an independent entity who cannot be bought and will not be doing promotional puff pieces for anybody. Mm. But um, I'm lucky enough to have the respect where I can pick up the phone and reach out to WWPR about something. And I may not hear from them within 10 seconds, but within the next 10, 12, 24 hours, they will get back to me in some way, shape, or form 99% of the time. Same thing with TNA, same thing with Ring of Honor. Um, I don't have a problem with, like, like I know there's a guy doing a lot of stuff for Rolling Stone lately or even Shoemaker doing a Grantland. My problem is, and this is a personal thing, and, and I'm a perfectionist by nature. Nothing drives me crazier than finishing an article, being so happy with it, and then finding a typo in it and being like god damn it you know because you just want it to be perfect you want it to be presented perfect and you want your thoughts to be conveyed perfectly so even the slightest typo might change the way someone else reads it because you don't know how someone else is going to read your words they're not going to be able to know your brain pattern and all the only thing drives me nuts is when i see guys who write about wrestling and they don't do the research that they would do if they were writing about baseball or football or volleyball or Hollywood. And then when that incorrect information gets distilled into their final product and there's no sense of, oops, let me fix this. Um, And I've seen books like this where people who uh, try to write what I call like the hipster twist on wrestling or they try to be a little artsy about wrestling, they kind of lose the thread of what wrestling is supposed to be and what actually factually happened in some of these cases and with some of these people, and there's no sense of, oh, I need to fix this because it's a mistake. and That that drives me a little nuts. But I think, you know, if, if eEntertainment.com is going to write about Total Divas or if AV Club is going to write about SummerSlam, it doesn't affect me, it doesn't affect our numbers, it doesn't affect our traffic. What it does is create more of an uh, a spotlight into the idea that, hey, there are people writing about wrestling, And hopefully those people who are interested and invested in wanting to read about it will find their way to not just PW Insider, but other entities that are legitimate and credible, which, you know, there's probably just a couple, a handful, and then there's like 20 billion people who – Rip us off, take our words, pervert them, cut and paste, or as I, you know, I I call it cut and lying now because I'll see things that I never said or things that I said as an opinion, and within two, three hours, sometimes even within twenty minutes, I'll see a distilled, incorrect version of it recited on websites like the, uh, you know, and even things that are complete lies. You know, I did an audio once on PW Insider in our Elite section talking about my concern about TNA. And that, you know, I don't want to see this company go down. This is before they signed the deal with Discovery. And within three hours there was for what it's worth, Mike Johnson feels TNA is going out of business. And <laughs> I was like I, and I had a and I, I never acknowledge stuff like that usually, but I had people from TNA calling me going, How I cannot believe you think we're going out of business. I was like, What are you talking about? And they were just very upset that even though I didn't say it, that there were these reports citing me, so I must have said it. So I had to come out and say, Listen, this kid, this was never said. No one should be lied about, not me, not Vince McMahon, anybody. And this is kind of what's happened. And, and you shouldn't be going to these websites because you're basically paying them to lie to you. So that that's the stuff that really annoys me. I don't get upset. like a, look, Grantland.com can write about WWE to their heart's content and so and Rolling Stone or all the other ones. There's room for everybody. Um, I, I just prefer that everybody in the marketplace do their job right. And you know, in some cases they will, in some cases they won't. You know, I can't control that, so I I try not to uh, get too concerned about it.
1: Yeah, I, I, I want to, I do want to move on, but I, I just as a, a counter, one thing that I thought was pretty interesting is as hearing you talk about it. I think it's an interesting challenge uh, for some uh, some of the writers. Shoemaker mentioned this to me. He was talking about how when he turns a piece into his editors, as opposed to all the other guys on the site. Uh, Let's say he writes something about how Steamboat and Savage was a classic match, and he writes WrestleMania 4 accidentally. That will never be caught by one of the editors because they don't realize that it was WrestleMania 3. And he was talking about how how that was a real uh, interesting challenge. Like, if a baseball writer writes that, you know, uh, Derek uh, Jeter's Jeffrey Mayer home run was from the 96. or writes that it was from the 97 ALCS, it was 96. They catch that because they know that, and that's an interesting challenge, I think. For those well, guys it's not an interesting
0: that, challenge. It's laziness because if you think you think someone was writing about the Super Bowl and he handed something into his editor who's supposed to be fact-checking him or double-checking him and he had the wrong Super Bowl number, that would get caught right away. Well, because so, they know that. So his maybe, point was they don't the know anything about to learn wrestling. Is, not that I'm looking for a gig, but maybe they need to reach out to people who are credible about wrestling and go, hey, we could use some help. Would you like to do some part-time editing for us?
1: Yeah, yeah, that, that would be – they, they You know, could they're, that. They're,
0: There's a reason – There's a reason there's a certain select people, few, who have kind of built a name over the last, you know, 10, 20 years writing about this genre in a specific way. And I'm not saying that like say, oh, I'm the best. You know, I think everybody does their own thing. But you know what? If I'm going to write about Broadway, I'm going to look to someone. Or I need an editor to, to look on Broadway. I'm going to find someone that's a, an expert on Broadway history to make sure I'm not, you know, making an idiot out of myself when I churn in my articles. Wrestling should be treated no differently. And unfortunately it is because for most of its life span as an as entertainment genre, it didn't fall neatly into any one category, and 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 so sports writers kind of scoffed at it, or entertainment writers sort of scoffed at it, but nobody went, huh, it's making money, so it's important, which the bottom line is wrestling is whatever draws money. If it makes money for the promoter and the fans want to pay to see it, then it's pro wrestling. That's kind of how I define it.
1: When I was in college, uh, my roommate and I split a PW Insider uh, account, and we would – uh, ignore our studies for hours playing video games and listening to the amazing audios uh, around WrestleMania time where where you guys would go back and, and talk about every WrestleMania one two-hour audio at a time. And
0: well, We just put them all back up so if uh, anybody wants to listen, they can subscribe at uh, winsiderelite.com.
1: Oh, they're amazing! I give them the highest recommendation too. Uh, yeah, PWInsiderElite.com. dot com. So, what I was wondering, I wanted to ask you this last quick thing before we we get into uh, WrestleMania. Uh, when the network came out and wrestling fans started paying the nine ninety nine for that a month, did you notice at all that has it become harder to uh, get people to pay the the price for the the premium subscription? Like has, have, you, have you discovered there's a cap on people's uh, wrestling dollar around the $10 mark? I
0: mean, or did the network cannibalize our subscriptions? To, to some degree um, or was
1: it an opposite it, it, effect?
0: Uh, you know what? I think it's the opposite effect actually because we have seen an uptick in people who are subscribers asking us about different shows. Asking us about stuff that they watch, like there's a there's a regular audio I do called uh, Network Jewels, where I pick ten. Ma- I don't I don't discuss the spoilers involved, but I take I pick ten matches that are available on the network, and I talk about each of them, the setup to the match, and why you should go and check it out. So like uh, the, you know the the network allows a lot of uh, new leeway. Like before, I could talk about ECW Hardcore Heaven 2000. Right. And I could talk to I could talk about it for four hours. But unless you had that VHS tape from a million years ago, you couldn't really go back and watch it and kinda of compare what I'm saying and make your own distinction. Now there's that opportunity for us to talk about Starcade 83 and they can, people can listen to it while they're watching Starcade or people can listen to it after they watch Starcade. So no, I, you know, I don't, I don't think it's hurt us at all. Um, we've always had a pretty loyal fan base from the day we launched in January 2004 and it has stayed with us. And we, we, we you know, we haven't seen a major churn in terms of like, all right, it's January and we have, and I'm not going to mention numbers because contractually I'm not allowed, but January we had X plus five million and the network launched in February, and then after WrestleMania 30, we had X minus 7 billion. Like, there were no numbers. Like, you know, we didn't see a a huge decline. If anything, we saw an increase in existing subscribers or new subscribers writing to us more about the network because they were interested in in diving into a lot of the older stuff. And uh, we'd see more questions about when are they going to put – more world class on or when are they going to put more ECW on or when are they going to put Mid-Atlantic on because there was an interest in okay now I can get into their library and really dig in so where is all this stuff so no I don't I, I, I mean I, I can't speak for every website I don't know what they're doing because I don't know what their, their strategies are and how they promote themselves and what they present but for us we have not the network has not been a uh, you know it was not like oh my god they're going to they're, they're pulling out shotguns and they're going to shoot us out of the sky there was never that like that Chicken Little sort of feel. Here, we always looked at it as, "Oh, great, we're gonna have more to more more to write and more to produce content on," and and that's kind of really what's happened.
1: Right? Yeah, I, I, I'm gonna give you a, obviously a chance at the end to set everything up, but just one more time for me for all of our listeners: th- these audios are unbelievable. PWInsiderElite.com, dot uh, com. The uh, the WrestleManias, the SummerSlams, uh, the way you guys. Uh, talk about it, provide information. I mean, I absolutely just love them. I I mentioned you you guys were doing podcasts before it was a thing. I mean, I don't think they were called podcasts.
0: It kind of is true. Yeah, I don't know. I I joke about that with Dave Sher all the time. I go, we were doing podcasting before there was a term because, you know, even before we had our home at PW Insider, we were on a previous website, uh, the majority of the core guys, And we were doing regular audios for the subscribers. And at the time, we were just calling them hotlines. And sometimes we still do call them hotlines because that was a changeover from the old 900 hotlines that Dave Scherer used to produce back in the day, the old Wrestling Larry hotline. So then all that stuff moved online to go to the subscribers. And obviously, you know, just like video killed the radio star, the internet killed the 900 numbers. So everything kind of shifted there. So before there was even a podcasting term, we were doing audios, you know, uh, four five six seven a week i mean now it's now there's like two three four a day sometimes right but um you know it, it it's just you know the the world has changed and uh we kind of were ahead of the curve without even realizing it at the time
1: Let's jump to WrestleMania now. You're getting ready <laughs> as soon as we're done talking to head out to, to California for the. event. You are
0: literally the last person I'm going to speak to, other than my wife, <laughs> <laughs> going to, before I go to the airport. So, is this
1: uh, a week that you get really excited to cover, to be a part of everything down there? Or is this kind of a week where it's like, well, obviously it's WrestleMania, we got to get down there, we got to do this. It's big, but it's not necessarily my favorite thing. It.
0: Depend, you know. As I get older, it's, it, it it changes. As when I was younger, it was like I can't wait to go. It's WrestleMania. This is going to be so cool. Now and, and again, you know, as you get older and you get more and more embedded in, in in covering wrestling, it's more of like, okay, here's my itinerary. This is what I'm going to do. All right, I'm not going to get a lot of sleep for the next five days. So it literally is from the second I land. It, it's gonna be do this, do this, do this, do this. Like I literally have a, a spiral notebook that I call my Bible, and um, I, I literally have like a checklist of things I need to do and want to do every single day. Like I, I'm actually going. It's very rare for me to go a day early just to kind of take a chance to breathe, but I've never been in San Francisco, and everyone tells me it's awesome. It is. So I'm yeah. going a day early just to explore San Francisco, and then like Thursday morning, I'm gonna check out Alcatraz because I want to go see where Roddy Piper Hold himself up for a week. Remember that craziness. Yeah, WCW locked himself in Alcatraz. Mm -hmm. It's tremendous. Only wrestling can get (laughs) so. um, And then, like from Thursday night on, it's it's just an endless procession of wrestling and Hall of Fames and and conventions and accesses. And it's like, all right, I have, I want to get pictures here. I want to try and do interviews here. I want to do. cover this, I want to set up a laptop and do live coverage for this event, I want to take notes on my iPad if I can't set up a laptop, I want to rush back to the hotel room and record an audio, I want to get that up, I want to make get the photos up on the site, and it's like, okay, I have time to do everything but sleep. <laughs> so, on, right. on that flight home Sunday, because I, I, WrestleMania ends about 8 o'clock in, in California time, I literally go back to the hotel, get my stuff, and go to the airport, and I think my flight's at like 11 so literally, it's going to be. I cannot wait. Not that I, I, I'm not going to be happy to be there because it's always fun to be in the middle of all that chaos and. Right. No, and I
1: know what you mean people. exactly.
0: But once you get to the end and you go, okay, then you can kind of relax your body and kind of sleep, and that's the point I'm at now. And I mean, I, I I'm at the point now where like uh, you know this only happens to me, but like I know I've got to fly seven hours. And today is, uh, Tuesday as we record Wednesday as what, what day is it? Tuesday. Tuesday. I don't even yeah. know what day it is. <laughs> it's Tuesday as we record this. I woke up Sunday. I couldn't even speak. I lost my, I, I had a sore throat. Why? I don't know because my body is like, Oh God, this is what we're going to do again. Right. So it's like, you know, it's, you just, you just kind of will yourself through it. And you know, I, I can understand from the outside in, people are like, Oh, it's so terrible. He's going to wrestling. It's not. It's awesome and I'm blessed and I love every second of it, but this literally will be the busiest, uh, Four or five days of my year, where you run—it's it, it, kind of like the most insane college reunion ever. Where no matter where you look, you run into somebody that you know, or right. you, somebody you want to speak to. So you—it ne- it just never ends. It's like an endless flurry of of, of images and, and, and visuals and, and, and conversations. It's going to be a crazy couple of days, and you know, I just hope that I convey uh as much of the experience and as much of the events as, po- as as well as well as possible so people who don't get to experience it can kind of read and live vicariously through it and hopefully want to go damn I want to go there when it comes to Texas or wherever and if if I do my job right then that'll be the case and hopefully I will and knock on wood you know I'll be satisfied when I get on the plane and not kicking myself
1: you know uh, if you just went by uh pe- what people say on the internet and I hope people don't do that uh, you could get really easily get trapped in this kind of feeling of this is the worst build-up to WrestleMania in so long. And well, you didn't like, like the
0: tug of war on Raw. <laughs> what are you talking about? It, you know, Next I, up, I, they're going to skip rope.
1: I, I didn't <laughs> love the tug of war, no, but I did like a lot of things about the show, and uh, I, I
0: did too. I, I thought Raw overall was very was very good. Yeah,
1: I thought they put on a decent uh, go home show, as they say. Uh, I, I do feel obviously like they have painted themselves into a. A corner with Roman Reigns a little bit, and it It might
0: might be a little bit too early for him, but you never know. Maybe it's maybe he's going to evolve right before our eyes, uh, Sunday at WrestleMania. You never know until they get in the ring. You don't. This is the thing about wrestling, it's one of the things I love about it. The story could be the worst idea ever, and then you'll go out to the ring, and the crowd will just go absolutely nuts because sometimes in wrestling, the stupidest things become the most popular. Scotty, too hotty, doing the worm, completely ridiculous
1: his might more, be a good Made example. the man more
0: money than all of his great wrestling matches on the indies ever did. Right. You know, and sometimes you go to the ring and you go, I've got the greatest idea ever. And they go out there and it just pff, doesn't work. Crowd doesn't want it. Just the chemistry isn't there. It, you know, you can never tell. And that's one of the things I like about pro wrestling.
1: Well, what I was going for uh, there is I'm still excited about WrestleMania. And I wonder uh, what things are you looking forward to uh, with the card itself?
0: Well, I, I wrote a whole column about like 10 things I'm looking forward to. I am fascinated by the idea that for the first time, Sting is the oldest rookie in wrestling. Right. He's the oldest rookie in WrestleMania history. Um, and, and you know they're going to have a ton of pomp and circumstance and all sorts of great production value to that entrance for him and, and that debut. And I, I think, you know, there's something cool about him and Triple H facing off. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens when all the smoke and mirrors dissipate, and it's two guys inside a wrestling ring, one of whom has never been on this stage. And honestly, he's an older gentleman, and the other is renowned as one of the best in-ring workers of all time, one of the best professional wrestlers of all time. And in a lot of ways, this could be his biggest challenge, because he now has to take a guy who they have built up as this mythical vigilante this super super superstar that the WWE audience believes completely is a superstar, and bring him up to a level that, quite honestly, inside the ring, Sting hasn't been at in many many years. Right. So, in a lot of ways, it's a big test for Triple H. So, I want to see that. Um, I want to see how the audience reacts to Roman Reigns, obviously. And obviously, there's a huge question about where's Brock going to go. Is he going to stay? Is he going to go? And uh, you know, as of as of last night, they still had not settled their contractual uh, obligations and issues to each other. So, you know, the day after WrestleMania could be Lesnar swan song. We don't know. We're going to have to wait and see. Um, The latter match on paper brings back a lot of the fire and pizzazz of the money in the bank, which I always felt once that graduated to its own pay-per-view. The undercard of WrestleMania was kind of missing that crazy, just sort of what I call like a popcorn movie sort of feel. Where you you know like it's gonna be like a Michael Bay movie. It's like, all right, if I really think about it, some of this stuff's not gonna make a lot of sense. But wow, these explosions are gonna be cool, right? And 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 the latter match is kind of like the wrestling equivalent of that. And as long as all all of those guys come out of that, you know, not injured, I'll be very excited to watch that match. Um, I think the women. Uh, they they've gotten the the women to a position where the and they've gotten the audience to a position where the crowd wants to see the girls actually have a chance to do more than just be sexy and right. stand there and, and and be you know one dimensional characters and Paige and AJ and Nikki and Brie have the opportunity to do that if they're given the the enough time in the ring and looking at the last couple of weeks of Raw. Um, they have been given the women a lot of time. and They were also given a, a pretty lengthy segment on SmackDown, which will air on Thursday. So I have no reason to deny that um, or, or to believe that's not going to happen. Cena and Rusev, I think, is a great old-school wrestling build. Um, Rusev uh, making his WrestleMania debut in a pretty pro- – I mean, he's making, you're making your WrestleMania debut against John Cena after being on the roster for about a year. That's uh, its a pretty big uh, compliment to what they think of Rusev. So I'm curious to see what they think of him. Can and, I throw uh,
1: something in right there? Yeah, you know, I was uh, I I'm not a Cena sucks guy at all. I love Cena. I admire uh, the work he's done at the top. I, I, I do too. And I think if
0: everybody who who complained about John put one third of the, his work ethic into their own life, they they the world would be a much better place. Yeah, he's
1: been unbelievable for the business, and it frustrates me so much when I hear about how Cena. And the possibility of him going over in this match sucks uh, Rusev's team because I think absolutely uh, that, you know, anytime you get a wrestler in this undefeated thing, um, you know, you got to find the right way to end that. And if they decide to end it against the arguably the biggest star in the business at the biggest show of the year, I, I just can't think of a better way. And and people yeah, I mean, that frustrates me, it, people, Cena haters frustrate me very much,
0: so. Well, I mean, you know, listen, back in the day, there were people who were like, oh, Hogan, I don't like Hogan. There are people who are like, oh, I don't know why Daniel Bryan's a top star. I don't see anything in that guy. There's, oh, you know, wrestling is subjective. It's, it's, It's like going to the Museum of Modern Art and staring at this bowl of fruit, and you're like, really? It's a bowl of fruit. And then someone next to you thinks you're an idiot because it's... Well, it's from the the Renaissance era, and uh, it was painted with a certain style of of painting. It was very, you know, and and so people look at things completely different, you know, and wrestling is very similar. You know, you might like the great technical wrestling, but someone else might just be like, I like the kooky characters, you know, and I I always, you know, wrestling is kind of like a buffet. You get what you want out of it, and that's what you enjoy, and, you know, I think a lot of people are down on the WrestleMania card in general, because they wanted to see Daniel Bryan back in the main event. Right. WWE had no intention of doing that and had no intention of ever uh, paying lip service to, to the fans again, uh, like they did last year, where they were like, all right, well, I guess we got to slip him in here. And, you know, I think there are fans who are down on it, and I think there are fans who are upset, but I look at it like this, you know what? Roman Reigns, first singles WrestleMania, uh, main event. Seth Rollins, first singles WrestleMania, prominent position against Randy Orton. Right. Rusev, first WrestleMania, pretty prominent position. Bray Wyatt, second WrestleMania, pretty prominent position. So now right there you've got four guys, and all the audience has really complained about the last couple of years is, we don't want to see the same old stuff. Well, then you're not going to see the same old stuff. Look at WrestleMania last year, compare it, or two years ago, You know, look at WrestleMania in MetLife, look at WrestleMania in... Uh, Oh my gosh! This, I almost said the Silver Dome, like Hulk Hogan, the yeah, Superdome. Yeah, and you know, you can see that they're starting to move the the next generation up, and I think you know, it, unless the audience uh, gets to a point, you know, here's the thing: WWE has to walk that fine line, because yes, I understand there's a wrestling audience that's like, I'm so sick of John Cena, all I want to do is see this guy instead, but dude, the average wrestling fan who's only jumping in for the for the major shows. They want to see Rock. They want to see Cena. They want to see a Hulk Hogan. They want to see Undertaker, and that's what they've come to expect out of the WrestleMania brand name. So you have to, you kind of have to serve all the masters. And I think wrestling is interesting because the more, the more of a diehard wrestling fan you become, I think sometimes the more dissuaded you become with being in love with wrestling, and you you kind of sit around. It's kind of like waiting for that girl to come back. And every now and then she'll come back and flirt with you and you're like, oh, yes, she likes me. But the rest of the time it's like, oh, they're uh, really, really not making me feel that good. But you wait for that one moment where you're like, yes, this is what I want. And I think there's a lot of diehard wrestling fans who watch everything and they go, oh, it's not really what I want. But at WrestleMania, maybe I'll get it. So they hang on. Or maybe they'll get it at the next SmackDown and they hang on. But to the average fans, they're coming in, they're watching what they want and they get out. WWE has to kind of... Play both sides of the of the coin there, because they have to all they have to not just worry about people who are watching every segment, but they have to worry about in, in embracing the audience that's just kind of watching from the side and going, "Oh, that looks interesting. I think I'll watch that tonight." And that I think that's something that the most diehard wrestling fan often forgets because uh, they're they're somewhat myopic because they know what they like, and I think in fandom in general, and I and I'm I'm as guilty as this as anybody else. If there's something that I like, it must be the right way, and that must be what everybody should like. And I think that's that's just society in general.
1: I uh, I have to cut you in a second so you can get on your plane and go to WrestleMania. So I, this has been this is so awesome. I, I just want to give you a, a couple of quick things, and, and I'll let you go real sure. fast. We'll go we'll blow through them. Uh, I thought I'd come up with the smartest idea. And I was telling my wrestling buddy this, and he's like, nah, dude, I, everyone's saying that already. Uh, so it wasn't me, but I, I, I thought about the idea of if they can get Brock back on and uh, Brock wants to stay and they decide that they're going to keep the title on him, they've done a great job for the first time in a long time of building the other titles up sort of. I And agree. I really like the idea of maybe putting the titles, uh, the other titles on, let's just say Cena and Brian for argument's sake – uh, and then featuring those titles in the main spots and some of the smaller pay-per-views that Brock doesn't want to work, uh, I think that could be a really good dynamic to move forward if they want to keep it on Brock. Uh, it, I, do you like that idea? I like that, that idea? idea, and
0: can, we can even go one further. You can have John Cena say that – you can you can have each – and I wrote about this about Daniel Bryan. They could take the ice, the intercontinental title, and present it in a completely different way, and kind of like Rob Van Dam did in the original ECW where with the television title – decides this belt means as much to me as the world title means to anybody else. So I'm going to raise the prestige of it. And then by Daniel Bryan raising the prestige of it, suddenly John Cena wants that title. So then you can have Cena with the US title and Bryan with the IC. And then you could do a little thing, a little series of matches and unify that or even like a big pay-per-view match and unify it. Think about what those belts would be worth now if Cena and Bryan are the ones contending for them.
1: Right, yeah. I, I think that they uh, they've done a really great job uh, there and it, I'm a huge i c title fan from way back when people call it the working man's title or whatever and uh i I like what they've done there uh real quick you can just give me uh one word you think Brock stays <sighs>
0: my wow um you know what Brock's gonna stay Brock's gonna go where the money is yeah um I wanna I hope that he stays because I think he's great um and I don't want to see him go back to UFC and kind of shatter. The myth, which could happen, you know, when it's a right. real fight, you never know what's going to happen. Um, I want to see him stay. Uh, I think he's one of the few people in WWE history who's able to go. This is what I'm worth, and you're going to give me this. And WWE really doesn't have an answer for that because you, how do you how do you argue that that guy is not worth what you're paying him? So uh, I'm very. I, I don't know. I think I think the coin's still flipping in the air.
1: If uh, Reigns pins him, what kind of reaction is he going to get?
0: Ooh. Um, I think they're very lucky they're in an open-air stadium where the sound goes up as opposed to echoing back and forth. Okay. Um, I think there will be people there who are just going to be disgusted, and they will boo the hell out of it. And I think there's going to be people there who, who cheer. You know, you got to remember, John Cena gets booed at all these big shows. But when you go to the house shows, John Cena gets a big reaction from the kids and their family. So it really all depends on the makeup of the crowd. This is like the destination for the most diehard, uh, hardcore, quote unquote, wrestling fan of the year. So it's going to be interesting. I don't know, but you know what? They have an awesome match, and Reigns wins. Crowd might just go, you know what, dude, you did okay. Right. You know, you never know. You never, never know. I've been to shows where people boo Daniel Bryan. Yeah. You know, it's it's crazy to say, but it's true. It all depends on the makeup of the crowd. I, I, I do think Brock will go in being the, uh, the baby face to the live audience, though.
1: Who do you have in the ladder match?
0: I got to go with Daniel Bryan. Yeah. I got to go. I, it's like if Daniel, you know, Daniel Bryan or Ziggler. Yeah. You know, if, if it's not one of those two guys, with all no disrespect to the others, if it's not one of those two guys, then as they say, what have we been fighting for? You know, why why do we try to build the uh, Ziggler? Over the last couple of months, why, what did Daniel Bryan fight to come back for? And, and, and really, you know, you got to do something with one of these guys because the audience wants it so bad for them. Right. And if you keep pushing the audience aside, sooner or later they throw their hands up and they don't care, not just about those guys, but about the other guys that you want them to get behind. So I would say, you know, the safe bet is Ziggler or Bryan. In my heart, I want it to be Daniel Bryan because I, I have a tremendous amount of respect for him personally.
1: Do you think Rollins and Orton can steal the show?
0: You know what? You never know. I, I would I wouldn't put it past them. I think this is the WrestleMania that if the stars align correctly, there's gonna be a lot of matches that really surprise everyone. It right. depends on three things. One, obviously the creative. Two, guys having good matches and having good chemistry with each other. And three, each of these guys and each of these matches having the time. In the ring to develop. If they give Rollins and Orton seven minutes, we're not seeing an all-time classic. If they give them twenty-five minutes, we got a chance. And really, the chance is all I want. I want to. I want to see everybody get the chance. And I think they've got enough on the show where everything, you know, especially putting the tag match in the pregame with everything that they've got announced, I don't feel like they've overstacked the deck against themselves, and there'll be enough time for everything. Whether there will be or not, or whether they're going to shove a bunch of musical acts down our throat and so all sorts of video features, I don't know. I haven't seen the format and we'll find out in the days to come. But on paper, I really, I'm really hoping this show is the one that it, it, it kind of shocks you from behind and there's a little bit, um, some stuff, a little bit more memorable segments and matches on here than you kind of expect. But you know, the other thing is they got a hundred thousand seats to fill in 2016. Yes. And I look at this as Huge really the show. beginning of I kind of look at this as like the, the the old Madison Square Garden house show before you got to the blow off match because right. if you don't believe WrestleMania 30 uh, 32 is going to be all hands on deck,
1: no, you will. haven't
0: been paying attention. That's yeah. the show they really going they're really going to stack up and go crazy
1: with. Yeah, it's like the old the CM Punk thing about how WrestleMania sells WrestleMania and I believe him. To a 70 or 80,000 seat venue type of a thing. But that 100 and 100 plus is going to be a challenge for them. And I agree it's going to be. I,
0: I don't think it will be as much of a challenge as you think because I think this is this will be the, hey, Austin, we need you to come back. Right. Well,
1: that's what I mean. Your, They're going to need to pull out the, all hey the stuff. Hey,
0: Hulk, you think you got that one match left in you? <laughs> right. here, you know. Right. And, uh, and let's not forget, I, I, I said it on PW Insider this week and I'll say it again here now. All you need to do is have Sting in that ring the day after Monday Night Raw and say, I've done everything I wanted to do. I had my WrestleMania main event. Thank you all. There's nothing left for me to accomplish. Gong. An Undertaker to walk out and point at him and then point at a WrestleMania sign and walk away and without even touching each other, without even saying a word, without even being in the same ring, they just sold WrestleMania. So you never know,
1: right? We could talk about ideas for WrestleMania 32 all day, but you have to go to WrestleMania 31. I do. Mike for the airport. <laughs> Mike Johnson writes for PW Insider and PW Insider Elite dot com. Uh, he's on Twitter. I talked about the audios. they're phenomenal. But I can't give everything out as well as you can. So please tell our listeners about everything, where to find you, how to do subscriptions. Uh, just lay everything out for them because they're gonna. Wanted after this uh, conversation for sure.
0: All right. Well, you can find us at PWInsiderElite.com. That's uh, PurseLing Insider, PWInsider.com. We then have a subscription service. It's ad free, uh, a number of uh, audio updates as well as exclusive articles every day at PWInsiderElite.com for a small nominal fee that helps us keep the house in order and keep the company running. Um, Like I said, that's a completely ad-free site on a completely different server and you get uh, tons and tons of audios. I do a lot of in-depth interviews with guys. We do uh, audios after every major wrestling show, um, both pay-per-view and television and uh, all sorts of historical pieces, a lot of opinion pieces, and we have a lot of uh, very irreverent humor shows as well. We do mailbags and uh, all sorts of shows that uh, very in depth discussions about wrestling and different personalities. And so you can do you can check us out for three days free. You can go there, sign up. You get three days to check us out. If you don't like us, you chuck us out the door and cancel. And if you like us, and uh, it's 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 a win win. You get to check us out. We get to uh, have you as another uh, hopefully satisfied subscriber. And uh, you mentioned Twitter. The site is at pwinsider.com. On Twitter, And if you want to follow me and my exploits uh, in San Francisco and elsewhere, it is at MikePWInsider. So uh, be sure to uh, tweet me or drop me an email. And let me know what you thought. And uh, hopefully you enjoyed this. And uh, I thank you guys for having me on.
1: Yeah, and take advantage of those three days right now and listen to the WrestleMania audios uh, that go over all the shows. They're incredible. Mike. Sorry, I went so long. Sorry. No, no worries, no worries. Man. Sorry, if, I still
0: got time. I'm watching the clock.
1: All right. Sorry if we were, if I was uh, a, a bit much on email uh, but yesterday. Sorry about that. But uh, thank you so much for the time, and uh, have fun in uh, San Francisco.
0: All right. Thank you, sir, and thank you, everybody. And uh, I hope I hear from you at pwinsider.com. Take care. Have a, enjoy WrestleMania.
1: Alright, I want to thank Mike Johnson, Stuart Mandel, and Ryan Lambert for being on the podcast today. You can listen to this podcast, all our podcasts, on our website, www.sports-casters.com. You can find us on Twitter, at sports underscore casters. Don is at DonLakeSports. You can email us to sportscasters at com, and uh, you can listen to our shows, not only on uh, our website, but also on iTunes and Stitcher and uh, wherever else podcasts are played, I think. And if you can't, for some yeah. reason, tell us. Let us know, yeah. and we'll uh, we'll include it there as well. All right. One last thing for me today. Uh, we have recently talked uh, very much about uh, my love for radio. Uh, we talked to um, Jimmy Traina about my love for Howard Stern recently. Uh, we talked to Anthony Cumia recently.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, and uh, one of um, uh, obviously loving stern means I am a subscriber to Sirius XM. Now I don't have a radio in my car and I don't have a radio in my house I subscribe for I believe 1295 uh, to the online uh, version of the service which grants me access to uh, their website to listen or on their mobile app uh, so obviously I mostly listen to it on the mobile app because, you know, you take your phone in the car. You can listen in there. You know, sure. you can listen uh, in bed. You can. It's. It's. Uh, in theory, it's perfect. Satellite radio on your cell phone. Right. The problem is, is this company, a publicly traded company, seemingly cannot make an app that works. Hmm. Uh, as recently as a week ago, they were on a very outdated uh, version of their app. The original uh, app released. Uh, and hadn't updated it uh, since July. Now, if you're an iPhone user, that means it hadn't been updated since the operating system uh, had moved from iOS 7 to iOS 8. Now, I looked uh, and realized I had about 270 apps on my phone at the time. Okay. 269 of them had at least updated to make sure their app was compatible <laughs> with the new operating system. Okay. Sirius Exxon was the only app not doing so. Wow. Uh, this app was uh, moving forward or backward in time on its own, uh, switching stations on its own, not playing on demand content, uh, logging you out of the app if you switched from wireless uh, to Wi Fi and vice versa. Many, many problems making the app almost unusable. Well, I called. I'd had enough. And I called them, and they said, listen, I got to be honest. This app's a piece of shit. Okay. But we're going to fix it. And in the meantime, we'll give you three months of it for free. Okay. So it's about a $50 value, I think he said, which is a little high. Sure. It's really like a $36 value, but he wanted to make it sound really good. (laughs) Day after I said that, I go to the App Store. Bam, new version of the app. Okay. Oh! Sweet. Joyous. Yeah, you lucked out. Download the new app. Bigger piece of shit than the one they had before. Oh, good. Now, it, it look, it, they put out an app that should do some really great things. The problem is every day for the last three days at 345, it stops working for about an hour.
2: <laughs> is that when some show comes Don't on? know. Yeah, just... Nothing consistent.
1: stops working. You know, you say, oh, is it me? So you go to their Twitter, you click on their mentions, and you realize it's everyone. Okay. Because it's thousands of people. I'm effing them about it. Uh, they don't care, I guess.
2: I haven't listened regularly to Opie and Anthony since bef- probably a little bit before Anthony was off the air. That's got to be over a year now. And right? he went off in July. Okay. And – I remember they used to complain all the time about their app, or maybe they complained about not oh, having the app. Oh, no, they complained about the app. Oh, okay. Yeah, the app is horrible. So, like, not maybe not your flagship show, but your second biggest Probably show second, yeah. on the platform mm-hmm. is bad-mouthing your app. Maybe you should uh, put some money into fixing it.
1: Yeah, they need to. And I want to be patient because I think that they have the shell of what could be a really good app. Uh, but what they need to do is it's been out a week or two now, you know what the bugs are. Let's push this update. You know, point zero one or point one, yeah, whatever, and fix the bugs.
2: Can you get a third party app or no?
1: They used to have one that uh, people raved about, but they, that third party stopped updating it. Uh, and as far as I know, there's not a compat. There's not one that works right now. But please, serious, please.
2: All right, one last thing for me this week and hopefully this is the last time this is one of my things or anything like that. Uh because I've talked about it. I this season is entirely interesting, but it's it's hard to watch, it's hateable for the Sabers. But I think without exaggeration, I can say that the most relevant regular season game in the Sabers history may be taking place on Thursday night and it's a game I want them to lose which is really bizarre. I don't even know if I want to watch the game or not. I'm not a jinx guy or anything like that, but I feel like – I don't know. I Because I, I'm going to watch this game, and I'm going to really, really, really want them to lose this game. This game don't
1: you kind of feel like they're going to split them, though?
2: And I'm fine with that, I think. I think I'm okay with that I, because they're down three now. Arizona has to get a point at some point this year, right? Like other than – if they split them – and they're down 3 points with whatever it would be at that point point. Well, six that'd be 7,
1: stickers. right? There's not is there nine left? Okay. I think everyone's played 73. There's 82. So everyone has nine left, which means there'd be seven not against each other.
2: Right. The Sabers are terrible. I guess even though Arizona's on some sort of tremendous like 1 point in 17 games. I think games, they're 1 in 18. Yeah, something, something like ridiculous. Yeah. Uh I guess their most of their advanced numbers look better than the Sabers do still, which is crazy cuz the Sabers find ways to hang into these games that they're terribly what was the game they they won a game that they were just destroyed the bruins yeah if i couldn't boston. if i couldn't hate the bruins anymore right. in a year i'd actually want them to beat the sabers boy they, did boston need that game too yeah and i mean by all rights they outplayed the sabers that game and just didn't get a point nashville way outplayed the sabers all games and they did win that game but it was like two one or something really bizarre but i'm ready for the season to be done with uh that is maybe, like I said, the most interesting game that the Sabres will ever play in a regular season, and I don't even know if I want to watch it. I'm afraid of that game. I have so, uh, I wrote to Mike Harrington, and he retweeted it and said, I guess they're in one of the Sabers' home games. When the other team scored, there was a little bit of positive reaction from the crowd, which you'd never think you'd hear, and I said, I get it. A lot of people that are pro what they're doing, pro tank, if you want to call it that, have we're, we're willing to make a two year sacrifice for this thing to f- follow through. So to get this far, nine games left in the season to have it this close. Gotta cash it now. They they have to they have to win this and it'll be devastating if they don't. So uh go coyote Yeah, go go. I almost said Phoenix. Go Arizona Coyotes.
3: When the days are cold and the cards all fold in the saints we see are all made of gold. When your
1: dreams all fail in the lungs, we hail are the worst of all. And the bloods run stale, I want to hide the truth. I want to share.